As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey everyone, Matt Lanfer here with Primary and Secondary. Welcome to Primary and Secondary Modcast. This is episode 197. We're going to be talking about snubbies. That would be snub nose revolvers. We had a revolver episode, oh, probably about a year ago. We may wind up talking about similar topics, but there's a good possibility there's going to be some brand new information, especially with a brand new panel. And that's always nice to have. Uh, before we start up, we'll shout out to the, to the sponsors. Uh, big thank you to Filster Holsters. So go to Filster. Matter of fact, also, if you go to Big Tech's Outdoors, um, they happen to have this new Filster Arc. So this is what it is. If you have a Surefire X300U, and you find that the buttons, the little toggle buttons are a little too short. That's what the arc is. You swap out the buttons and then you can put longer ones. And so if you have little tiny stubby fingers, that'll work out for you. It's kind of neat. Um, Steve Fisher with uh, Sentinel Concepts and, and John over at, at Filster went over this and pretty much designed this. And it's pretty much a drop-in system. When you buy the package, you have multiple sets of these add-on buttons. And then you snap your existing buttons off and then you snap on the new ones and all of a sudden you have better reach. Amazing. Also on Filster, um, they have some outstanding holsters uh, in the waistband appendix holsters. Specifically, there is one that is near universal that is ambidextrous compatible with that X300U called the, the floodlight. Add that to that, that flex and wow, you are golden. Also, big thank you to Facts on Firearms. If you are doing a do-it-yourself build. If you need AR-15 parts, if you need barrels, if you need pistol barrels, Faxon Firearms has quite the quite the collection. Matter of fact, I was just talking to Pat over there just the other day. Um, they have all kinds of cool stuff. They have new stuff. And you should probably look at them. And that, that would be Faxon Firearms. Not quite last, second to last. This episode is brought to you by the letters P, P, and Q. Walther is a sponsor of the show. I'm a big fan of the PPQ. I'm going to, and I say this every time, practically. Out of the box, the PPQ is a wonderful, whether it be a duty or an everyday carry pistol, it's great. It has what I'm looking for in a carry pistol. Um, out of the box, I think it has the best production trigger available, um, unless, you, unless you're going into some kind of custom 1911 thing this is a pretty nice crisp trigger uh forward serrations 
good capacity. The grip is only just a hair longer than the Glock 19, which for me is a big positive because I just have a little, a little less meat hanging over the, over the grip, and it's not going to pinch my fingers when I reload because that sucks. Lastly, big thank you to our Patreon subscribers. If you go to patreon.com slash primary and secondary, you can help support the network. What that's doing is helping me pay some bills. And it's also paying for a lot of ammunition because we are going to be shooting a ton next month uh, with InRange TV, uh, Gary Hughes, and AJ from Overwatch Precision, and a bunch of my friends. And we're going to shoot all kinds of pistols, including a lot of these Walthers. And we're going to do head-to-head -head comparisons. Um, my Chambers uh, Night Fighter is going to be going to be out there. We're going to have a ton of guys shooting the exact same sh uh, the, the exact same guns, doing the exact same. I guess, qualifications, the same uh, courses of fire. And then we're going to compare it. And then we're going to change course of fire and same guys, same guns and record all the, uh, all the, uh, all the results. And we're going to have like a white paper with this. It's going to be kind of cool. The, uh, the shooting skills of the panel that we have assembled goes everywhere from moderate novice to, I guess the closest thing we can get to an expert rather cool. I'm looking forward to it. Not only that, but we're also going to be doing a lot of 308 stuff, comparing various 308s. I'm excited about this. It's going to be a good time. And that, we're all going to start filming early uh, July. And if you happen to be a Patreon subscriber, you'll be getting some more updates as we proceed with this. There'll probably be some live video and whatnot. It's going to be fun. My background's in law enforcement. Been doing the cop thing for about 20 years now. Um, you know, I talked to people about it. I did, I did fire for a year. Fire was a great job. I liked being a firefighter. The work was great. The training was wonderful. The people were outstanding. The hours sucked. Police work, however, the hours suck. But it's something I, I, I don't know if I could do anything else. It's a, it's a great career. Uh, I know there's a lot of negativity towards police officers. There's that whole bootlicker thing that I'm not a big fan of. Um, it's... It's, it's definitely, it's an underappreciated job that, uh, you know, it takes all types to do it. And I've done everything, uh, let's see here, school resource officer, patrol, currently sergeant. It's a good time. And, and I think we have, we actually have a couple uh, law enforcement topics coming up for an, a future podcast. So I look forward to that. So let's go into some more intro stuff. Chris, you've been here before. Why don't you take it away? I'm Chris Baker. From LuckyGunner.com, we sell ammunition on the internet, and it's my job to make sure everyone knows how great we are by telling you all about um, the stuff that I learned uh, by taking classes and doing research and performing experiments and that kind of thing. So I make videos and occasionally articles, write articles or publish articles by other people every once in a while um, at LuckyGunner.com slash lounge. And... Uh, yeah, I've been doing that for about seven or eight years, and it's a good time. Buy ammo at LuckyGunner.com. How did you get into that? I kind of fell backwards into it. Um, I was in between jobs. I was um, trying to uh, expand my horizons as a concealed carry instructor, um, and I uh, was doing a little bit of blogging on the side and uh, had gotten to know a couple of other bloggers and through them met some of the guys at Lucky Gunner who were at the time looking for somebody to make some videos for them. And uh, one thing led to another and here I am at the uh, Lucky Gunner headquarters in Knoxville, Tennessee. Very cool. Very cool. 
that seems to be a very good fitting for you too. Now, growing up, did you do video type stuff? Yeah, I'm not growing up. I, I majored in that in college. Oh, cool. So I had a background in that, did it professionally for about seven or eight years before this job. Very good. And then we have that guy, that Daryl guy. Yeah. Take it away. Uh, Daryl Bulky. Uh, first thing I just want to say, Chris Baker is one of my favorite people. And the Lucky Gunner Lounge is like where I send everybody to on the internet because it, you know, for information, because it's safe that you're going to get great information without a bunch of nonsense. So, yeah, I just want to throw a shout out to Chris because, yeah, he is one of my all time favorites. So, um, you, Daryl. <laughs> with that said, uh, uh, Daryl Bulky, a retired police officer from Southern California, uh, as a senior corporal there. I started out uh, prior to police work working at a police equipment distributor while I was in college. Uh, in the eighties, um, clientele was pretty extensive. Everybody, you know, all SEAL teams down in San Diego, uh, a lot of SWAT units, Marshall saw just, you know, had a lot of access before a cop was a competitive shooter. Then, uh, did the cop thing, learned an awful lot. I was blessed right out of the gate. I, I got assigned to, uh, as a firearms instructor for SWAT, uh, because I shot better than everybody else. Uh, I also knew at 24 years old, I didn't know anything. So I went out to LAPD, got my you know, uh, cut my teeth with Larry Mudgett, Scotty Reitz, John Helms, Ralph Morton out there. And you can't ask for better people to learn this from. Uh, implemented a good firearms program, worked a lot of different assignments all in patrol, everything from, uh, you know, anti-crime, you know, graveyard patrol most of the time. Uh, Vice uh, did uh, ghetto bicycles for about four years, did uh, air support for four years, uh, FTO for 10 years. So I did a lot of different stuff. And then I got hurt pretty bad on the job and got forced to retire. Uh, done a lot of uh, corporate investigative work, uh, done a lot of bodyguard executive protection work. Um, still doing some of that. Uh, <laughs> I'm a little grounded right now in my destroyed hamstring that just got reattached, but um, yeah, right for a bunch of the gun magazines do gun guy stuff. I'm a complete gear, you know, aficionado, uh, just, I've owned my own police equipment store, worked at them, done the whole thing on, on about most ends of the industry was pro staff for aim point. Um, and then, you know, kind of in retirement, uh, I got kind of a bit sick of the whole tactical world. It just happens and got into something that makes me happy, which is collecting, uh, old revolvers. And I've learned a ton about training and where everything we do comes from on researching guns from the 20s and 30s. And some of that will come into this when we're talking. But, you know, it's, a, uh, it's an incredible, you know, kind of process to, to learn through actually handling the guns on why things are the way they are. Uh, you know, why, you know, point shooting was so prolific, but we knew it didn't work. You know, a lot of that was equipment based um, and figuring out where all that came from. So, yeah, there's a lot in there when you start getting deep on the collector side. So that's where I'm at. I, you know, most people tell you, and I got some really cool stuff here to talk about uh, that'll make some points on some guns that belong to some legendary gunfighters. And to make the point that, you know, there's a lot of work that can be done with these things. So, so if I understand correctly, what you're saying is this is not an obsolete solution. 
Okay, so <laughs> I'll just dive into this. Here's 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 uh, you know Uncle Uncle Grumpy's uh, you know diatribe on what these are good for. Oh, before um, we get in there, let's let's define what a snubby is, so we can frame this. Um, basically, it is a uh, a small to medium frame revolver barrel, usually less than three inches, most often with fixed sights, and usually in a medium caliber is pretty good definition now some of them are going to be you know very small calibers we'll talk about some of them are big bore snubbies we can kind of venture into that in a bit but in general there's stuff like uh you know your your classic j-frame chief special your classic uh two inch k-frame m, m and p model 10 uh those are the type of things that are sort of your your classic snubs um and then, you know, you can, like I said, we can get smaller and bigger on both ends and some calibers, but generally that's what we're talking about. Uh, on the Ruger side, you've got like the uh, SP-101, the LCRs, that, you know, that genre size gun. So that that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, Chris may be able to add some to that as he is the monster fan of the 327, which I'm sure we'll talk about. So, <laughs> Yeah, I have nothing to add on the definition, but I can... Uh... Throw in my two cents on 327. And I do have 327 specifically listed. Good. So we will be getting into that. So yeah, let's jump right into the, the that purpose that we discussed about or a little bit earlier. Now, for me, coming from a heavy law enforcement background and then into the you know private security side of things of protecting people and stuff, um, and then now as an old retired guy. Um, I look at it this way. You have two purposes for guns or for, for handguns, basically. It's, you know, they're convenient, easy to carry all the stuff that, you know, if you don't have a rifle. You have guns for going to trouble and you have guns for getting out of trouble. I would never today select a revolver on purpose unless restricted by some sort of legality or circumstance that I would never pick a revolver now to go get into trouble. Now, we did that for a lot of years in law enforcement. Um, we, we took revolvers and there was a whole bunch of developments and changes that have happened because of and, and training and, and mindset on how we shoot because we were taking generally a six shot gun to a fight. I would never again today take a six shot gun to a fight if I knew I was going to a fight or if I knew I was going into a high risk situation. So classic example of my daily life, when I go, you know, my daughter drives now, so I'm on that new thing. But when I was dropping her off at school, when I went to my kid's school, I had a high capacity nine millimeter, some sort of service pistol, you know, a blowout kit, and I had everything I needed. That if something bad was there, I could go. I could go intervene in that fight. Generally, when I go to church or something like that, any kind of mass event, I generally am equipped to go get myself into a fight if I need to. Because I've tried over the years to not do that, but I still do that. That's just a cop thing. You can't kind of groom it out. Contrary, now revolvers are exceptional, and I find them actually better than autos for getting myself out of trouble because usually trouble entails that somebody's in contact with you. You've been startled into the situation, things like that. We'll kind of discuss what I do with snubs to address that 
and where I think they fit best. So most of the time, I am carrying two, two handguns on me when I leave the house. I have a, these days it's going to be a, a Langdon Beretta of some sort, of either a 92 or a PX4 uh, compact. And I've got a snub nose in my pocket. That's all the time. And the nine millimeters get in is for fighting stuff and the snub is for something else. When I get home, usually a nine millimeter goes away and I got a snub on me somewhere, you know, because I'm not looking to go get into trouble at home. Now, middle of the night, something happens, grabbing the, you know, Beretta, the Langdon 92 with an X300 on it, a 20 round magazine, if I'm not getting the shotgun first, but if I'm going to pistol, because I'm going to go try and get my kid out of trouble. But if you, you know, somebody kicks my back door in, <laughs> they're probably getting shot with wad cutters out of an air weight or a, a air light snub that's inside my basketball shorts. So again, it's kind of fitting the definition. And I know a lot of people are into sort of the flat, small autos. What can talk about that and why I think the snub is much better than that. Been down that road and have totally discounted it for what I want to get out of trouble. I want a revolver. I'm sure Chris will have sort of his take on it as well. Yeah, so on top of all the stuff that Daryl just said, I would say um, one of the one of the things a snubby can do for me that a small auto can, a very small auto like a you know a 380 or something, I can get a gun that's the same weight basically, but it's a lot easier for me to grab onto, which has a number of benefits. Um, especially if I'm not carrying with a belt, with a conventional holster. So if I go running, I'm doing something like Daryl said, I got gym shorts on or something like that and just have the gun stuck in there. I can grab that snubby a lot easier because it's got like, I mean, compared to like a 380 or something, it's almost a full size grip, um, at least for my hands. I can get all my fingers on it anyway. Um, that's a big advantage. And then I can also grab it even if I don't get a, good firing grip on it, the gun is still going to work. And when I go to the range, I take a, an LCP or, or a, uh, a bodyguard or whatever. And if I shoot it at the range, it doesn't malfunction. But we all know that those little guns can be problematic, especially in messy real world situations. And something like trying to fish a little tiny auto out of Jim Short's pocket or something like that, you get a funky grip on the thing and it's the first gun that's going to malfunction. So that's one of the reasons I prefer a snub for that specific role for like the underwear gun kind of role. It's just the reliability and the fact that I can deploy it a lot more reliably. So uh, yeah, I'd, I'd echo everything Daryl said and just add those two little points. Let, let me kind of add to that real quick. Um, the uh, You have the sort of size efficiency thing. So this kind of gets back to guns to go to trouble, guns to get out of trouble. Matt, what do you think is the most size efficient pistol we probably have out there right now? Well, the universal size efficient gun that everybody, even if 19. you don't like Glock 19. Yep. Okay. Size, weight, ammunition, capacity, general reliability, ease of use, whatever. It's, it's, it's about as size efficient as you get. Okay. When you now get into little things you're putting in your pocket, we, now we're talking a different kind of size efficiency. The last gun I want to pull out of my pocket, and I don't care what pocket holster you're running or cool guy setup or something, is a Glock. 
Because it's square in the back, that thing hits the top of the pocket, and I know on the range it will never hit the top of your pocket. When you're rolling around the gutter next to your car, you're going to get that hung up on the pocket. And so what are you going to do? Pull harder. So now the back of the gun is hung up in your pants. You're pulling harder on a trigger that will is, hey, Glocks are easy to shoot, and Glocks are easy to shoot. You know, that's when they seem to get easy because now you're panicking, finger goes in the trigger guard because that's the happy place in the scary times. And all of a sudden, you've got a situation that under stress, you're trying to draw that thing out. Meanwhile, look at the shape of that. How's that coming out of my pocket? That ain't hanging up on anything. You know, the, that's going to actually, the, 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 this is why I'm a big fan of the bodyguards and the humpbacks, is they guide the gun right out of the pocket. You look at the Centennial, same thing. It's, you know, it's a ramp to get it out of your pocket. So, and then you, you add that, that efficiency again, like Chris was talking about, all these small caliber flat little autos, if I can pick every shooting that ends up with a malfunction right out of the gate for somebody, those are it. Because you never really get a great grip on them, which they need. Your grip is usually compromised. And the situations where you deploy these are usually going to be for most people, counter robbery. What happens in a robbery? The crook has to touch you. For women, it's sexual assault. For men, it's robbery. Women have get the bonus of they get both. And in either case, you're being physically attacked. You're in close quarters, and you're trying to make this little flat gun have a good enough grip to function the slide, not have anything interfere with it. Revolver doesn't need the ammunition to function. The ammunition has nothing to do to function the gun. The, the, the ammo supply <laughs> is attached to it. That doesn't come off. I can tell one funny story about that coming off. But the, in general, these don't come off. You take your, take your Glock 19, take the magazine out of it or get it discharged in a fight, and you have a one-shot piece of junk. You have a non-functioning thing. These things tend to, and you know, Chuck Haggard and I have talked about this a lot. Chuck Haggard, you know, it's funny because everybody says, well, revolvers are more reliable than autos. No, they're not. For those of us who shot qualification every month and shot a lot of revolvers, they're not more reliable. Uh, they, they, they really need a lot of maintenance. And when they break, they need a gunsmith. You know, where they are more reliable is in actual street shootings. You take a revolver with clean with clean ammo, and you haven't had anything happen to it since the last time you shot it. So it's clean, well-maintained, and, and has decent ammo in it. That gun is As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's going to work. It's just that simple. That gun's just going to work. Meanwhile, that auto, so many things can go wrong. And that's why I carry both. So every negative to the semi-auto is a positive for the revolver. Every positive to the revolver is a negative to the semi-auto. You know, what's the problem with the revolver? They have very limited capacity. And, you know, reloading them in the middle of a fight is a kind of good luck with that. I know one, I, I mean, it's happened not a lot. Any good revolver guys, we always carried multiples. Your reload, your reload was another one. Um, we got one of our regular students in class. The guy's generally carrying five snubs on him. He carries basically five-shot shootable speed loaders. You know, he ain't loading. He's going to somewhere. He's got one on each ankle, you know, one on each side. I mean, got him everywhere. And that's his normal everyday thing. He's carrying five airweight snubs. And But I'll tell you what, I don't care where you assault that guy or what condition he's in, and he's looking his whole world as he just doesn't want to get robbed and assaulted. Uh, he's going to access a gun. So, again, you get that accessibility on top of it that that accessibility is, you know, not real good for some of these small autos. So, again, I think the Airweight Airlight Revolver is as size efficient for what it does as the Glock 19 is for what it does. That makes sense. Very much. Very much. I'm 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 considering what you're saying also with what I do. So I carry a full size Glock 35 because policy says I have to carry a 40. Right. And then in my um, left front pocket, I have a uh, Glock 42, 380. I'm not carrying a reload for that though. I don't intend on carrying it. A snubby easily could take that job. And I can. And here's the thing. So. Think of yourself in the middle of your typical, and I've been in enough of these to know how they actually go. You're fighting for your primary gun. You're rolling around the gutter with some felon who does not want to go to prison for the rest of their life. And it's usually those guys who will go hard. The three strike, I'm looking at life or whatever the heck I just did. How good are you rolling around on the ground with a semi-auto in your support hand? And then on, a, on what's likely going to be a contact shot. And a contact, yeah. Contact shot, yeah. So that's where, you know, the snub revolvers are really, really good. Here's the other thing, too, is uh, on some reality-based stuff. So I used to carry a lot support side to contrary to the auto. Now I carry on both actually strong side. And I'm going to go to a blade on the left. Um, just tend my support hand. I tend to be better at sticking things than I am at shooting things. But, um, and I'll run some stuff support side depending on what I'm doing. But particularly what I'm 
in the urban environment and for my, uh, the last job I had, I was going to downtown Dallas every day at bad hours on the dark train, which anybody who's been on the dark train knows it's typical public transportation. The fact I never killed anybody on the train, but I had multiple robbery attempts during while I was working. So I went to the, the uh, snub in my strong side pocket. Here's the reality. I walk around in places like that with my hands in my pocket. I'm very, um, on a, you know, I don't look aggressive. Hands in the pocket is generally considered sort of a, you know, passive thing walking around. Here's the reality. I can step out on any range. Hand in my pocket on my J-frame. Blow, blow the buzzer. <laughs> I will give you a sub one second hit to the head at three yards. Every time. Now, that's not in my, you know, hunched over, getting my shirt ready, uh, you know, Hit, waiting for the buzzer. The reality is walking around every day with my hand on a snub in the urban environment, which I do all the time, I have a, G, a, a actual, real, honest to God, one second, draw to hit. There's a lot of people who are much faster than me, much better than me, but I guarantee under street conditions that you just walk up behind them and hit a buzzer, you ain't getting a one second draw on fire. You ain't going to get a one-second hit. Just walk up to them in the middle of their daily thing, and they're not. Where, for me, walking around, like I said, in areas like that, uh, I get hinked up about anything, hands in the pocket on the gun. And that stopped a lot of issues. Uh, crooks realize that, too. When they're walking up to you with their hand in their pocket like they got a gat, and then you smile at them, and you're looking at where this thing's going to hit, and I start the draw, and they realize that they're a bit behind the curve on this, that your victims aren't supposed to smile at you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> dude, you're going to get so zapped right now. Um, and it's, you know, it's a good, uh, it's a good option. Uh, Chuck, Chuck Hager and I have basically kind of come to the conclusion. There's not much with, with an airweight snub in each pocket and a small fixed blade midline. There probably isn't much we couldn't handle in life. And a lot of it is we know what crooks look like. Uh, I had that conversation Craig Douglas too. It's like, Daryl, we can get away with carrying snubs because we know what crooks look like. Uh, you know, and how to stay away from them. But again, those are get out of trouble guns. You know, those are good. I've done Cecil Birch's class, you know, with an AIWB. Uh, um, Craig Douglas has said nobody's really suffered from running a small revolver in his classes. You know, when you're rolling around and they're hard to get out of your hand too, which is another added, again, part of that size efficiency. Trying to get that out of my hand is going to be hard, especially if I get two on it. You're, you're, I mean, there's not just the leverage points of these are different. And uh, they tend to be real good about staying uh, locked in, especially when you're working on contact shots and inside of close quarters and fighting with. So. That, that's kind of reminiscent of something uh, Chris said last show, talking about the unsexy aspect of being able to identify people, being observant. And it's not the cool we can talk about guns and stuff, yeah. but it's real life. Yeah. Yeah. Situational awareness is a thing. <laughs> so, but. So, what else do you want to talk about? <laughs> so, reloading methods. Uh, there's speed strips, individual rounds, optimism. Yeah. 
<laughs> Chris, I'll let you take this first. Because in, in my role, I'm going to be carrying it as a backup. Most likely, I'm not going to be carrying any type of reload because I have my primary, and that's how I've envisioned things in my mind. That doesn't necessarily mean it's right. Yeah, I mean, I, I've practiced reloads with snubbies, but it's, it's like one of those things where... Uh, so I, if, I, if I carry a snubby, and that's the only gun I've got on me, I usually have a speed strip. But the speed strip is there in case I have to shoot somebody... I really don't want to be standing around with an empty gun while I wait for whatever is next. It's not that I think that I can actually reload mid gunfight or that, that, that even if I'm the fastest guy in the world with a speedster, that's still really, really slow. Uh, in fact, the matter is like revolver speed loaders are just a pain to carry. So if you're going to carry like an actual cylinder size speed loader with a snubby, like you might as well carry a larger gun. But uh, you know, technique-wise, there's some there's some differences, um, mainly in the ejection part of the process, because you've got a shorter ejector rod. Um, you have to hit it with a little more velocity in order to get all those shells out, and you might have to use a slightly different technique in order to actually hit the rod because it it's not sticking out as far. Um, I believe it's I don't know if it's heard from Claude or from Chuck, but like. A uh, full size or mid size revolver, you would have it upside down, hit the ejector rod with your palm. Um, with a snubby, maybe more like a blade of your hand thing to be able to hit it, um, just so you don't miss the rod. Uh, but again, you know, it, it's something I practice on occasion, but it's not like a skill that I really try to hone because it's it's super low on the list of priorities. I would much rather get in some like weak hand only shooting with that snubby because that skill is probably a lot more likely to get me out of trouble. So, Imperishable. Absolutely. Yeah, when the revolver goes click, it's time to run or transition to a blade, <laughs> you know, is, you know, or another revolver or whatever. And I'm kind of the same way. With the snubs, I usually carry a speed strip as a, um, yeah, I just don't want to have an empty gun if I need it, you know, if I have to shoot and leave, at least I can leave and go get loaded back up and have the armed again. Um, you know, I'm going to, let me, so duty revolver wise, you know, I ran everything speed loader, strong side, first duty gun. What I carried was a revolver, 25, five, 45 Colt. Uh, when I was skinny out of the Academy, I carried two speed loaders. When I got fatter and filled out a little better, I had three. Uh, so and they look like tomato paste cans because 45 Colt speed load is pretty cool that way. Um, and what I carried was I carried a three inch uh, model 13 inside the waistband front appendix behind the loaders. So my reload would come up, smack the gun, roll it over. And when I was down to that vertical, I could either go to a speed loader or I could go to a second gun. So let me show you something because I had a lot of conversations with one of my mentors about that. So. That's uh, Pat Rogers Model 36. Oh, cool. Pat's actual gun, actual holster he carried for 21 years. So it's a deep-setting uh, Diagostino holster, and the 36 sits in there, and Pat would run this right behind his dump pouches in the exact same place. It was the exact same thinking 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Oh, because I forgot AIWB's new. We just invented that two years ago. Um, so. <laughs> You know, big secret guys are doing that for a long time. So Pat would run that right behind his loaders as well. Same exact thing. You go to do your reload. The, 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 it's not there. You're getting charged. You just go to the second guy. Um, so it just sort of, you know, makes sense that way that a lot of times back in those days when we're working high crime, uh, high violence areas, it was multiple guns. Uh, you know, you had a bunch of loaders. Um, uh, this is uh, Pat's anti-crime speed six. This is the famous Toby. So Toby, um, Pat did get into a shooting that this that took a reload in the middle of the shooting, and he actually pulled it off on a speed loader. What's funny is talking to Pat, he was going for a second gun, but he had taken, they had gone to eat before gassing up. He was wearing a big overcoat because it was winter. And, you know, you know, typical cop stuff, you go eat on the clock, then you go gas the car, and then you go in. You don't ever do any of that on your time. So at the restaurant, he took his overcoat off. Well, he didn't want his backup gun, which was a Walther PPK at the time. He didn't want that in the pocket, so he put it somewhere else and then put the overcoat on when they were leaving and never transitioned it back. So Pat said, you know, I shot the Ruger dry, went to go get my backup gun out of the pocket of the overcoat and he goes you know and my my walther wasn't there he goes but there was a speed loader <laughs> so, so he had the speed loader for the ruger in there did the speed load and ended up killing the dude so it's you know in those days we had to make do with a lot of things that were not optimal now pat was really upset about that shooting because in the meantime while he was trying to pull that reload his partner got shot by the crook and he carried guilt with that for the rest of his life. But again, we learn hard lessons about things. And if you ever trained with Pat on how rigid he was on TTPs, well, that's why. Because Pat should have had his Walther in there and didn't because he kind of he didn't take the time to pull it back out of his waistband or wherever he put it or his pocket to put it back in the overcoat where it always was. So, you know, you learn from this stuff. and. Uh, you know, but 
if I'm just carrying a revolver, and every so often I'll do that, and it's usually now when I'm going to band states or I have to, um, one of the jobs I do, I could kind of end up anywhere. A lot of the cops who work it have just given up on carrying guns, which is sort of not the purpose of why you're doing this. But they found out, you know, it's like, yeah, dude, one minute we're going here, and then all of a sudden, you know, they're flying you to New Jersey or Chicago. You know, and I, you know, typical cops, you know, they all get a Glock 19, you know, and they're like, you know, yeah, I don't want to go to jail. So I just rather, okay, you know, take whatever you want, call it good, you know. So I've kind of looked at, you know, I have a, a three inch model 67 uh, that has become sort of my travel gun for doing stuff like that, where it's like, okay, I got a, I got a, you know, a five shot J and a six shot K frame. Uh, J Mac appendix holster pocket, you know, like, you know, so I'm rolling with kind of exactly what I carried when I was a cop. It ain't that big of a deal. I mean, cops have done a lot of good work with a couple revolvers for a lot of years. Um, kind of perfect example while we're doing a little. You've ever heard of LAPD's famed SIS unit? Um, I have John Helms's guns too. I make a lot of people upset because of my collection cool stuff. So working the most violent criminals, most in crazy cases in LA, John Helms primary, three inch model 63, uh, model 64. <laughs> kind of, this is what guys used to trade, go find the worst felons on the planet with are these things. You know, these were the Glock 19s of their day. Um, they're not, you know, you could do a lot of good work with them if you understood sights and trigger press. And and then that's John's backup is this sort of looking. Is that kind of looking familiar? Like two guys on opposite sides of the country are carrying basically the exact same thing? Yeah. Um so I'm sitting here thinking if two guys who have been in a boatload of shootings have hunted the most, you know, worst of the worst criminals on purpose and managed to live with these things. For John Q. Citizen, they'll probably work pretty good for you. And again, if you go in with the attitude of I'm using these to get out of trouble with, if you look at the administrative handling on this, I can look at this quite easily. I can tell if it's loaded or unloaded. How many people do you see that are actually out there carrying concealed and not in our circle of training junkies like us, but of the normal people and even most of your typical cops these days? Matt, how many people you see who can't do a basic, safe loaded chamber verification? You know, people don't do any type of press checks. That's you don't do that. Okay. You never. You don't have to do that. That's okay. That's, um, but but yeah. how many people have you seen who cannot do a basic loaded chamber verification? Not many. On a Glock. Not many. And here's my problem: you can't safely tell if it's loaded. Those people should probably be carrying something they can tell is loaded or not. You know, my daughter. I trained her very early. At you know, like eight years old, she could tell that a Model 63 was loaded or not just by looking at it and was able to do all the manipulations 
to be able to figure out if that three inch medium frame revolver is loaded or not, how to set it up to dry practice, how to do that. Yet we have people today who are professional gun carriers who cannot safely do that. We wonder why police stations have so many holes in them in places they shouldn't be. And the citizenry is probably worse um, about that. You know, go to any gun store and just watch what goes on at a counter. It's quite a frightening experience in general. Public shooting range, that's that's always an eye-opener. On And I'm just one of these people who think that 90% of America would probably be better off with a three-inch medium-frame 38 revolver, that they understand how it works, how to clear it. It's got a trigger that's fairly forgiving of them being stupid. Um, you know, uh, and it'll generally solve most of the crimes they ever face, which is again, going to be for men, it's going to be robbery for women. It's robbery and sexual assault. Again, contact crimes that are surprise contact crimes where these guns are really good at getting you out of those, um, for digging out of stuff in a panic where, oh my God, if I don't have a perfect grip on my revolver, you know what I can do? Still shoot it pretty efficiently. Because cops did it all the time. You know, we looked at, I mean, go look at all your videos of police shootings. How many guys have killer grips on their gun? I mean, killer, I mean, just thinking that thing. No, they're holding it like a, you know, you're like, that ain't going to work, buddy. <laughs> That's why I used to be so hard on trigger and sights because their grip was so bad that all of a sudden to fix that, sights became really important. Um you know, it's real easy to say, oh, I don't really need my sights. Well, that's because your grip's good. <laughs> your grip sucks, and all of a sudden the sights get awfully important. So, you know, it's a balance. Man, this is good stuff. <laughs> I have a quick little um, little tiny segue. You mentioned knives, and then I, I remembered you had at least two Striders and at least one Watson knife that you helped design two watson knives <laughs> two watson okay because yeah. i have the, i have the titanium hits yeah i have two, no, I, two striders no the gamboa <laughs> so that's the gamboa i did with uh and this one's sm 100 which is yeah it's about a thousand dollars worth a little knife and i don't go anywhere 24 7 it gets hung up on the bedpost going to bed it gets put on i get up in the morning um this one is a real uh, utility-driven thing. It looks like a utility knife, and um, the name kind of says it all about the knife. My mom actually grew up in Gamboa in the Canal Zone in Panama, and Gamboa is kind of in the middle of the Panama Canal. The prison is there for the police department. She grew up on the prison because her uncle, who was raising her, ran the, ran the prison uh, for the police department down there. Uh, it's where they keep all the dredges, the maintenance stuff for the canal. And there's a one lane railroad bridge that goes over the Chagres river that feeds the canal into this little town Gamboa. And after that, it is the end of the world. As we know, it is it's the worst jungle in the entire world right there. And so I kind of designed this one as a utility knife that could do all sorts of good, just cutting stuff. I mean, it'll cut up, you know, do deer and get you out of airplanes and do all the other great stuff. But it's also designed that if the way the grip works in every grip, you can flip that thing into any grip and you can make it a defense tool, just kind of depending on how you grip the knife. Where the hits knife is more of an undercover DB, 
where it's pretty much designed to stick things. Um, yeah, it's designed to sink penetration. It's more of a, a anti-personnel knife. Uh, the original DB and DBL from Strider, those were uh, basic cop sharp, sharpened pry bars. Um, the grip design was the biggie on those more than anything, and then sort of the width to length that you could pry and not break knives. So they were, you know, most cop work, you're just prying stuff open or burying it and things, you know. It just, I tell people that the DB is for everything to not use your foot. If you shouldn't use your folder to cut, go to the DB. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's designed to be used with a folder. So it's designed that, you know, you want to cut an apple or clean a fish, you use your folder, and then if you want to you know, break a fence or breach a door, then you use the DB. Or, you know, like the guys found out with the, the uh, Air, uh, Air Force uh, Combat Rescue guys, when your minigun stops working, just shove it in there and start cranking all the rounds out, clear it and go to work and your knife won't break. So um, those are the, the biggies on that. So, yeah, I'm a big knife guy too. And that's for me where the, the blade to me is more of a happy place weekend or support hand thing. Uh, I usually use support hand. It's not my other strong hand. It does support stuff and that does everything else. So I've kind of gotten to the point where everything I can do with my support hand, I do. I mean, I'm sorry, my strong hand, I do. And the support hand does support hand things, which is, you know, opening doors, going to stuff, or when that one doesn't work anymore, then, so all the firearms training I do support hand, it's one hand only. Cause if I had this one, I'd be using it, you know? I'm not a big switch, you know, uh, you know, ambidextrous, whatever, because that just, I find you end up sucking with both. Uh, I'm going to devote the training time. If I have to divide some training time for support and stuff, well, I'm shooting support and only because that's makes more sense to me. And that's where these things come in because they won't malfunction, you know, use support hand. Uh, they're very difficult to kind of reload support hand. So they're sort of a five shot, you know, uh, bang and get out. But, you know, in your situation, now working patrol, you know, I usually set up bladed on the left side. My backup was on my ankle. Mm -hmm. um, and so usually going for me, it was always on a weapon retention. Uh, the idea was always to go to the blade on the support side. So, um, but I mean, it, it, you know, if you're fighting over your G35 and you, know, you pull snub out, I mean, it does a pretty good job at contact distance of, changing people's mind about how important it is to take your gun out of your holster. Potentially yeah. literally changing their mind. Yeah. Yeah. You could, they're very good. You know, I, I tell it's funny. I just finished reading uh, 
Ralph Friedman's Street Warrior book, who was a highly decorated, I think he's the most highly decorated de detective. Uh, there's one guy with more decorations at NYPD altogether, but as a detective. Uh, Friedman's book, uh, you know, just really kind of was the same. It's almost like reading Pat stories about the 70s and, eight, you know, and 80s at NYPD. And, uh, you know, one of the shootings he was in, him and his partner, 18 rounds in a hallway, crooks absorbing all this hand, rounds, his partner's getting shot and stuff. He says, you know, at one point he just rolls over, puts his 38 dead center of the guy's chest and pulls the trigger and the, it was over. And one of the things in the training industry that drives me bananas is the whole acceptable target thing when we're talking about anti-personnel shooting the acceptable targets five inches here or five inches there that's it they're the same is what your acceptable target is people if you don't hit them in the heart of the brain they go for a while on pistol bullets and so you'll hear all these wonderful stories well we hit them in the chest or we hit them okay those are hits in the chest but those aren't in the pump everything i've ever seen including the guy i don't you know you hit them in the pump they might not be dead yet, but most, and you're always going to get the one Cape Buffalo, you know, Maddox of the world that's going to take around in the heart and I'm going to kill everything around me before I die. They're few and far between. Most humans will react just like animals do. You go hunting, you know, you, you know, around gets dumped in a deer's heart or vitals and, you know, they go lay down somewhere and call it a day. And humans are generally the same. How many shootings you've been to? Or you know, crooks over in a dog house or under a car or under some steps. They got they got hit, and you know, so the things telling the brain, I need to go lay down right now. You know, the, the brain hits are just, you know, it's over and you know, it's just turn out the lights, the party's over. But those center, uh, you know, in the in the pump, uh believe me, the heart's sending a message to the brain, like, dude, you need to lay down right now and quit fighting. Okay. You need to go find a comfortable place. Um, so, you know, Pat never really had a problem with the 38s, uh, the LAPD guys did. And that, you know, those lead round nose were horrible. They were using, so they really did have a problem with the 38s they were using. That's why they were big on trying to go to 45. You know, Pat said, you know, the, the 158 lead semi wad cutter load said, if you put the round where it needed to be, they worked. You know, if you, if, if you hit, they worked. If you didn't hit, they didn't work. And, you know, so it starts making a lot of sense. And that might lead into some of the stuff with the ballistics. And I'm sure Chris will have a lot of killer opinions on that. <laughs> You'll know, reference the ammo selection for these things. You know, that really re uh, reminds me of uh, Jared Reston talking about his one of his shootouts where he had to ultimately end it with a contact shot to the brain, but where he shot the guy enough where coroner report basically said yeah the guy was already dead he didn't right. know it and he continued fighting and finally got within arm's reach and put him yeah, down and, you know, jared got the cape buffalo and you know yeah. every so often you're going to get one of those but most of the time you know if they're in five inches or five inches you know it's fairly well over even if they're not you know they may not like instantly go down on the the center chest hits but it'll usually be Oh, hold on a minute. <laughs> Stop. You know, they want to time out, you know, that you'll get those funny last statements of man, you shot me. You know, they're not fighting anymore. They're just looking for a resolution on this thing at this point. So, 
you know, I, I kind of subscribe that if it's outside of the black on a B8 on either one, uh, you're probably going to have to keep doing it. And, you know, these little guys are real good for putting where you want the round to go. Just put it there and, and pull the trigger. Ears, any orifice on the head, put it in and, you know, pull. And, you know, that's where your, you know, LCPs and your little micro, semi, they don't do well at that stuff at all. These things excel at it. That, you know, when you're rolling around in contact and you can pick the spot, um, one of Cecil Birch's uh, classes I did, you know, rolling with a guy, and that class really teaches you, like, when to go for a weapon and when not to. Uh, <laughs> you know, some poor kid was rolling with Chuck Haggard and had everything taken away from him. You know, oh, I'm going to go to a knife. That's gone. Chuck took that, then the gun, then the this, you know. You get shot with all your own stuff. You know, it's kind of pathetic. So one of the guys, you know, I'm rolling and was able to get him rolled up, get that J frame out. And I literally could put it right in the dead center of his spine, just below the neck and go bang, you know, and it's like, okay, that's a fight ender. Cause I actually know that hit the spine. Um, cause I could feel it was between, you know, two <laughs> bones in the spine. Uh, you know, so when you put the thing between the discs or you put it in an ear, or, you know, a mouth or eye hole or something and press, you're going to be in pretty good shape. And that's where these things are good. And again, look at how many robberies, how many of these things end up at near contact distance that you can actually pull that off. Or, you know, it's a three foot shot. Well, you can't depend on it. You still need to train with these things at distance in case your emergency doesn't go as planned, <laughs> which you'll have. So you should be able to hit 10, 15 yards with them. But the reality is they tend to do real well in close quarters where most stuff tends to happen. Daryl, I've got a, uh, a ballistics question for you. Um, if you take a, uh, a handgun and you make a contact shot with like ballistic gelatin, you can see like the gas going directly into the wound channel and it makes a really dramatic temporary cavity way more than you would have if just the bullet went in from a, a few feet away. Uh, like in, in investigating shootings and that kind of thing, have you seen that effect? Does that have a terminal effect? It's a thing. It's a real thing. And, you know, I'll give you the one round that is the, uh, that we, we we used to see a lot of and a lot of legend was built on three full house 357 magnum and the old stuff before flash retardant was a thing so some of the early wound ballistic stuff done in gel 357 mag through uh you know the work that was getting done um by the, the wound ballistics guys back then was really kind of, uh, you know, Dr. Fackler, Gene Wolberg. I was friends with Gene Wolberg, um, uh, Mike Bullion up at California State DOJ. All these guys were doing kind of this deep work with the original gel stuff. 125, 357 threw everybody's numbers off. It was a very above average performer in gel yet had this street reputation that was insane for stopping people. So one of the benefits those guys had, because when you're actually working, you know, everybody, you know, this wound ballistic stuff, I'm going to tell you from work and 75 plus shooting investigations of Austin ball shootings, nobody sees that stuff. I was never allowed to see the files on my own shootings. 
Um, it, I was firsthand involved in the investigation, but nobody outside of that little circle gets to see this stuff. I used to call one human being post-shooting to give them results of forensic stuff on the wound ballistics, Gary Roberts. That was it. All these guys are running off a second, third hand cop nonsense that they don't understand how this stuff works. So 357 mag through this massive, you know, kind of problem into street results versus gel results. So they went out and because of the law enforcement contacts from state California, state DOJ, we're actually going able to look going into the shootings. And you know, I talked to the investigator who did it. He said, you know, what we started to find out um, they were four inch barrel or less at night inside of six feet. That was kind of the common denominator is they drop people like the hammer of Thor sub four inch, you know, four inch or less barrel inside of six feet at night, which was most of what they were seeing, especially in the cop shootings. You ever shot old school 125 JHB out of a four inch or a three and a half, three inch gun? It throws a 20 yard ball of flame. I mean, a full house tunnel ball of flame down the range. And what they found is, you know, guys were getting hit by the ball of flame at six feet. And every, every ounce of your body is telling you, oh, you want to lay down right now. <laughs> you know, duck. <laughs> and, you know, they were finding the crooks would go right down because they were getting hit with this muzzle blast that was insane. Now, part that inside of somebody, and those were just fatals. You know, you're incinerating the wound channel. Um, so, yeah, it's a thing. Best friend who mentored me uh, most of my life was involved with most of the killer behind-the-scenes kind of Cold War stuff. He and he had trained with GSGN, GI, I'm sorry, GIGN, GSG9. I uh, was very close friends with uh, Wegner from GSG9. Uh, very close friends with, I, I mean, I was in his office when he got the personal phone call when Charlie Beckwith died. So that was his sort of circle world. And he goes, you know, he goes, yeah, we loved 357 mag snubs back then, especially for doing, you know, counter aircraft stuff, tube, tubular assaults. Because, dude, he said, we call them 38 special with a flashback. He goes, all the shooting you're doing inside of a bus or a uh, or an aircraft, particularly for the lead guys in, you got a bunch of guys behind you with MP5s, you know, if it turns into a shootout. But those lead guys coming in, hey, nothing like parking on a dude and then giving them a flashbang with the 38 that's coming in behind it. The, the noise and flash is a thing when you're inside of a, a yard or two on the receiving end of that. It is a real honest to God thing. Um, it was funny a couple of years ago, I bought a brand new and I shouldn't do this cause I know better with my hands, but I had a big addiction to 44 mag snubs. Big bore snubs were like my thing. I thought the greatest stuff ever. So I bought a brand new, like two and three quarter inch 44 mag and I'm doing a demo for some cops, load up some full house 240 grain thing, bam. And I'm like, the hell what happened to the i mean it kind of hurt but it was like where's the explosion and it's like oh they're putting flash retardant in this stuff now you know this is that good ammo that doesn't throw balls of flame i used to shoot that stuff in our indoor range um at the police department so 25 yard four lane indoor range shooting 240 grain full house old school remington 44 mag over pressure the range 
You got to get the <laughs> camo for that now. <laughs> yeah, we, we yeah. So I you know I would always practice with specials down there because I learned after the first couple of rounds not to shoot full house mag. But you know, guys come down, hey, what do you shoot? And I go, oh, 44 mag snub. Oh, can I shoot it? Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah, round two, they're done. They're they're not getting six. It's like a hand grenade going off, and then your head hurts and your nose is bleeding a little, and it's a you know it's all a bad thing. So yeah, and imagine being in front of that. You know, there's a thing to that, you know, that, you and, you know, 357 SIG, everybody's saying it's the same. It's not. It sort of lacks the ball of flame thunder. It's, I, I find it to be a good round as an anti-vehicle round, but we had that before. It was called 38 Super. Yeah, 38 Super Auto is sort of that round. Um, you know, I didn't get it. I, it's a round I've never understood because, like, 9 millimeters sucked, so we had 40, so that sucks. So we necked the 40 to nine millimeter and it's like a 38 super short or something i don't you know again a lot of these things confuse me as to what they're for but you know it says a thing so <laughs> it's 38 super that fits in sigs and glocks okay got it <laughs> so. okay so we talked about the big fireball and didn't we have a discussion where someone was saying that there were more and it had to have been recently yeah, I, I mentioned shoots. that last week, and I must yeah. have, I couldn't remember who I was talking about, but it must have been Daryl because that was the exact same story I had in mind. Yeah, yeah. Chris and I have been in a class or two. <laughs> Funny how this all kind of comes together. So, how about these materials? We have aluminums and scandiums and even polymer. When you're looking at a when you're looking at a snubby, whether it be your everyday carry or a backup, what are things people should be considering? Featherweights, airweights. Yeah, I think the biggest thing people miss, uh, biggest mistake people make is that, uh, you know, they, they shop based on weight, based on how easy it's going to be to carry, not thinking about actually having to shoot the thing. Um, I mean, if you shoot snubbies a lot, then you kind of know what to expect. But if it's like, hey, I'll get a snubby and you pick up the lightest one you can find, um, that's not going to go so well. Like, there's a big difference between shooting a 15 ounce 38 and an 11 ounce 38. It doesn't sound like it, but huge. it's it's a huge it's difference. Huge. <laughs> I, I can I can shoot a 240 or a uh, 442 for a few boxes of ammo, uh, standard pressure 38 with no problem if it's got the right grips on it. Uh, but then I've got like a little 342 PD, which is like uh, I think it's 11 ounces, and uh, you know. Anything, anything other than wad cutters, and I'm done after a couple of cylinders, um, and even wad cutters, it's not any picnic to shoot. Um, so knowing what to expect is a big deal. And the, you can't just look at the weight either because the like the LCRs, they recoil a little differently than the, uh, than the J-frames. Some people feel like they're not quite as bad relative to their weight. Um, I, the standard 38 LCR I still don't think is great for novice to be shooting a whole lot of i think the 357 lcr is a is a really good compromise because it's a polymer lower and a steel upper whereas the 38 version is a polymer lower and an aluminum upper so you've got about a 17 18 ounce gun maybe about 18 ounces loaded with the 357 lcr you put 38s in that and that's pretty easy to handle i think that's a very good middle of the road for the average uh non-snub enthusiast um, and then the, the aluminum 
442s, uh, 642s, same gun, just different color, basically. Um, that's aluminum with a steel cylinder. That's the um, heaviest lightweight gun that Smith & Wesson makes. The heaviest would be the steel frame version. Um, the steel frame snubs are great if you want to shoot them a lot. Um, I think it's great to shoot the steel ones, carry the aluminum ones that if, if you want to buy two. Uh, I don't like carrying the steel one just because if I'm going to carry a gun that heavy, I want more gun than that. Um, but there's nothing wrong with them if you don't mind carrying something like that, like on a belt holster or whatever. Um, what, what have I left out, Daryl? Oh, I think you got it. Um, the, uh, for me, if you're serious, I tell people, get a steel version of whatever you're shooting in your carry gun so you can train. So you can actually go out and train. Uh, my primary shooting snub is a two and a quarter inch, uh, 649 dash three, um, you know, excess sight on it. And I'll carry it. It's my fancy pants gun. I call it, it's going to be my retirement gun when I live in a place where I don't need a gun because I'm going to carry it and it's, you know, purdy gear, shrunken Buffalo leather. That's pretty awesome. Um, so that's my one. I'm going to go out and train and I want to shoot. But most of the time, I'll tell you these air lights with the arthritis in my hand, like this gun here, it's been shot 10 times. It'll never get shot again. I, it, it's 10 rounds. I know it works with and where it hits with wad cutters. That's it. I'm not shooting that gun a lot. So I will shoot the, uh, the 42s, the six series guns, so the aluminum frame steel cylinders. Um, I'll train with those. Um, my, I consider the bottom for me the guns I actually carry most as a backup. Um, so I divide mine into two things. I've got what I call rule one guns. And a rule of one gun is just to have a gun. I carry them in basketball shorts around the house. Um, they're little, super lightweight guns for when I don't think I need a gun. That makes sense, you know, is I don't need a gun today, so I'm going to carry this in case I was wrong. Um, and, you know, and stuff, I don't have a belt. You know, I mean, the guys who, hey, I'm carrying my, you know, weapon-mounted light, rolling special, optics-mounted, AIWB 24-7. Okay, sure you – First, first thing is, sure you are. Uh, second thing is, is you have no life. I mean, you're living in, I don't know where you live, but it's not. Man, the first thing I want to do is get out of a pants with belts. And get, my pants weigh like 10 pounds. You know, I'm wearing Duluth fire hose, everything, all the pockets. It's a man purse. My wife looks at me like I'm insane. You know, you know blowout kits and spare guns and spare knives and all sorts of crap. That's how I leave the house. As soon as I get home. The one thing I want to do is slide in some basketball shorts that don't have a belt on them. So the last thing I want is a gun that needs a belt. So these little things, and this is what I carry the most, that little clip on there. It goes right in the thing and a little lightweight Emerson. This one is Daddy's Baby lately. So this is a Airlite, uh, help me, it's an Airlite PD. It's a 340 PD with DNL sights on it. So it has like real sights, but it weighs like 11 ounces. This is a really cool gun because I can actually shoot it pretty well because of the sights. But since my significant injury, and I don't like having any sort of pants with a belt on right now or any weight, that's been the go-to. Um, with the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Just because I couldn't put a pair of pants on and carry a Beretta right now if my life depended on it. But I got a bag on my walker for the for the Berettas in there, the Langdon Berettas in the Walker, tactical Walker bag on me. So, you know, but for training, um, if you're really super, super serious, you know, get a steel version of what you normally carry. And, you know, we've had, uh, I do a revolver round of Pat Rogers Memorial revolver shoot every year. Um, Normally we had, we used to have one day dedicated to full-size steel duty guns and the next day de- devoted to snubs. It's all snubs now because anybody who ever wanted to learn from a bunch of old guys how to shoot a revolver have already been through class. So now everybody trying to wants to just do snub stuff. So that's what we're doing. Um, and we've had a couple of students come through and they've shot a steel snub for the entire time and have been able to pull it off because it used to be a much higher round count on day one because, you know, you're shooting four-inch plus service-sized guns with 38, so nobody was dying. When you're shooting two full days of snub stuff with a air light, uh, you're not going to be a happy camper. You know, people coming in day two, tape around their hands and all sorts of stuff. So um, always recommend if you are very serious about carrying these. And again, they're size efficient for what they do. Uh, have your carry gun and then have a, a training gun that's steel or heavier. Um the I'm gonna kind of jump into the brands here because uh, the Colts are another thing. Um, used to be the big thing was the Detective Special held six rounds. It was fairly lightweight for a steel gun that held. It was kind of the the bottom end of a steel gun that held six rounds. So it was lighter than the the Smith and Wesson K frames and held six. And then they had the aluminum versions, which is the Agent and the uh, Cobra. And those are great carry guns. Those are phenomenal. Because uh, what, what do you think, uh, Chris, like 16 ounces? I think yeah, on a- I, I picked up a an old 70-something Cobra the other day, and I want to say it's right at 16 ounces. Right. So you had a 16-ounce gun with six shots. So there's a lot to, you know, I mean, there's pretty well a lot to that. I have one that I have set up as a uh, – no snag, deep concealment, in non-permissive environment gun. So it's got the hammer shroud on it. It's got boot grips they don't even make. It's a one-and-a-half finger grip. That's how little there is there of the grip. And it's the newer one that has the kind of shrouded ejector rod and the ramp sight, which I prefer the older ones better to shoot. But that one for getting out of a pocket or getting out of an ankle holster, which is all I have for it, is a mica pocket holster and an ankle rig. And uh, – or I'll use it in Thunderwear or something like that. But it's a, it's a deep concealment gun. But, you know, I get six rounds in a 16-ounce gun. 
that I can get it. For the record, I the, the Cobra I found the other day was three hundred bucks. So I know people are used to Colts being like four figures, but that's if you're looking at like pythons and stuff. Some of those older ones, like in terms of quality for the dollar, like. I don't think you can do a whole lot better than that. You'll stumble into them. A lot of people are kind of on to the Colts for the money thing now, um, which kind of brings up on the newer snubs. Um, I have one big issue with them that is a huge pet peeve for me, but not necessarily everybody else. But the new Colt Cobras are what I consider a great fire extinguisher gun. Um, for your people who are going in, They've got Glock plus money. <laughs> They're never going to train. The people who like, I just want a gun in the house. You know, I want to take a class for my carry license and have a gun in the house. But I'm probably not going to carry it. Those people, that new Colt Cobra is perfect. They got great sights. The trigger, the action on the trigger is great. They're heavy. Um, they're a full steel gun. Um, I found mine to be utterly reliable. Uh, the, like I said, the sights are good and they're easy to change depending on what you want. Um, so like I said, they make a great, uh, sock drawer gun stashed around the house and they're small enough. You can stick in a back pocket or something, you know, it's, it, that weird knock at the door. It's, I just don't know. You'll grab the gun, put it in your back pocket and go answer the door. So for a lot of people, they're good. I just brought them out to a women's class and the ladies were, were pleasantly surprised how easy they were to operate for them. Uh, one poor lady I had, she said, you know, I don't carry with around in the chamber cause I'm not comfortable. You, you should be carrying a revolver. She's got four semi autos, the different, you know, between the boyfriend guy at the gun counter, whatever has put her into all these different autos. None of them fit her well. She's not comfortable carrying them loaded. She's not really comfortable cycling them and doing everything. And I'm like, she picks up my Cobra. And she's like, why did nobody show me this? And then she shot my 686 SSR and she was just a death ray with that thing. Um, so she's like, you know, I would have been a perfect candidate for these. She just wants a gun and to stick in her purse. Purse carry and pocket carry are basically the same thing. What goes on in purses is a bit crazy. And you think about pulling one of those little 380s, you know, picture pulling your Glock 42 out of a woman's purse, get snagged up. You're going to have the exact same problem as trying to dig that out of a pocket. And then when it doesn't come and you're panicking and your finger's in the trigger, uh, things will get very exciting there. So um, my wife has a steel 642, uh, two and a quarter inch. She shoots really well. We've got some big grips on it that are grippy. She's and that's really kind of her serious carry gun. So when she used to come visit me downtown, she'd get on the dart train, sit with her concealed carry purse with the gun in there, and she'd put the purse in her lap and literally be sitting on the train with her hand gripped on the gun, casually sitting there. Somebody wants to take the purse. Purse is coming. Gun stand with her. This is going to get ugly. Gets assaulted. She's got the you know, literally gripped in hand on the gun. And it made more sense – yeah, and it isn't like she doesn't shoot a PX4CC. Like, I mean, she's got a gun hand-built by Ernest for her. So it's like she she does really good with a PX4CC, but that little 642 for her solves a lot of real-world concealed carry problems. And, again, it's just she just doesn't want to get robbed or raped. So it's a get-away-from-me gun, you know. And so and the steel guns are easy to shoot. 
So there's nothing wrong with sort of these steel snubs for, again, that sort of part of the population that doesn't want to do a lot of the high-end gun handling, wants to be able to really look at the gun quickly and understand if it's loaded or not, be able to do the hand Administrative handling, everybody leaves that out of the equation. Matt, when have all the bad things at your police department happened? Usually on graves when no one's around. But it's administrative handling. And it <laughs> yeah, happens. yeah, at the office. Yeah, it's and, and you know it's always a cleaning accident, you know, which is you know some sort of BS for God knows what. But it's it's almost always the administrative handling stuff that causes all the problems. But see, it's not cool to do administrative handling training or to start looking at a selection of equipment based on how much time you want to spend on that BS admin handling. Nobody cares. Yeah, that's where, you know, if you look at negative outcomes, as, uh, you know, Claude Warner likes to talk about, you know, all the less than optimal stuff seems to come out of that administrative handling that nobody really wants to spend much time on. And the revolvers solve a lot of the administrative handling issues, you know, uh, for most people. Well, you know, when, we have to, when we have to break it down, we don't need to press the trigger. Mm. No, you don't have to do. You don't have to do much. Yeah, your finger. You, heck, you can be on the trigger while you're opening the cylinder, and it ain't gonna go bang. Which is like, you know, and how many people you watch them disassemble a gun with a finger on the trigger? How many times have you watched in a, at a? a uh, you know, most people when they. Here's the thing. Most people when they pick up a gun, where's your finger go? You know, when you're you're dancing at the club and you do a backflip and your Glock comes flying out and you pick it up, you pick it up by the trigger. I mean, it, watch people pick guns up at gun stores. Most of the time, fingers in the trigger. All of a sudden, you know, that that 12-pound double-action trigger is looking like a pretty good thing, you know, for how most people handle firearms. You know, again, not probably a majority of your listeners or your followers, or the group we're generally talking to, but you know what? <laughs> your Aunt Sally, who wants a gun, you know, cousin so-and-so, who's a moron, you won't let them touch your tools, but they want to get a gun. You know, all of a sudden, the revolver's a good solution for a lot of these people. Your typical business environment stuff, you know, I'm hearing all this stuff now with, oh, I got to have a blowout kit, no armor and a helmet and all my stuff at my office building in case there's an active shooter. You, know, you want to get killed by the police, go ahead and respond that way. What I, what I think you're better off with is a snub and a deep concealment rig like a Thunderwear or a Smart Carry or some just deep, you know, even some of, I, I run uh, some DSG appendix rigs that are tuckable. You know, I, I can tuck a, you know, one of these 11 ounce guns. You know what? Uh, all of a sudden for most people, Run, hide, fight. Well, the hide and fight part gets really bitching when they open the closet and you can shoot them with a snub right out of the gate. That adds much better on what you're probably actually going to need in your office environment when some psycho comes in there with a gun. Um, then, you know, so I've got my, my AK pistol, my 300 blackout pistol, you know, in case there's an active shooter at work. Okay, well, you know, let's have a reality check for a minute, you know, on that. Um, as to, again, most people. Uh, and most
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Most people's level of training. Uh, you know, mean, you know, God, I live in Texas. I mean, the amount of people with 300 blackout and a pistol brace, you know, is just mind boggling to me. But where I never see them is training. Um, there's a lot of talk about the thing with the folding, you know, not a lot of training with it. So, you know, it's like, okay, you know, live that. I'd rather just, you know, again, I've countered multiple robbery assault attempts myself and I am not high on the victim selection list. You know how I get this. I don't know. Um, one of them was my thousand dollar saddleback leather briefcase was just like running a spinner bait in front of this one guy. I mean, I'm taking the bag. I don't care what that monster looks like. That's carrying it. And that one was a full draw on the snub. That's the only thing that solved that problem. The last thing I heard from him was uh, OF and, sliding across the car waiting for him. Um, so again, that snub accessibility, you know, all of a sudden starts to make up for everything it lacks everywhere. So that's where the accessibility attribute lends to its size efficiency. You know, and again, when the weights we're talking about, and you know, they hurt in the 13 to 11 ounce range, but they're probably not going to hurt when you're getting your, you know, somebody's trying to cave your skull in. You know, they're the last of your worries when at least, you know, rule one of gunfighting, have a gun. You know, that's their have a gun guns. So we discussed weight a little bit. Um, I remember something that I thought was really, really interesting from Chuck Haggard was the maximum weight he'd carry in a snub or with a snub on his ankle. And he said, if you're at a pound or less, you're good. If you're beyond that, you're looking at long-term injury. Agreed. And I carried an ankle gun my entire career. And I would agree. Uh, the revolvers were either, uh, um, I started out with a Model 38, uh, went to a SIG uh, 230, the aluminum one, um, back to a uh, 442, and then uh, finished my career with a Glock 26 because I was carrying a 17. And the 26 was too much. Is sort of the reality of that, is the 26 was probably a little on the too much side, but I was really looking at the, well, same magazines, you yeah. know, yeah. Yeah, I load everything off of this and it sort of made sense. And I had gone to the 17 cause I had been carrying a USB 45 before that is just my arthritis in my hands is I couldn't train with the USB to the level I shoot 50,000 rounds of 45 a year, uh, personally for a decade of you know, department ammo. You know, Chris is sitting there going, I wish everybody thought 
50,000 rounds a year of my, my of lucky gunner ammo. Where are you guys, you know? And I found the arthritis was getting so bad. So to keep my training level up, I started shooting 50,000 rounds a year of nine millimeter of department ammo to G17, even though I was carrying the USP. And then I thought, this is kind of stupid. I'm going to so many training classes with a Glock and might as well just carry it. And then, you know, HST uh, 147 came out and that was sort of the, uh, you know, and for me, I'm like, mm, it's, it'll, it'll be fine, you know? And so I transitioned from the 442 to the 26 on the ankle. Uh, like I said, sort of with the idea that all the magazines interchanged. Um, but, you know, I carried that 442 in an upside down Eagle holster. That was, uh, I carried that a lot. I mean, that was, a... sadly, it just cracked. I loaned it to a guy in class, one of our students and frame cracked. And sent it back to, to Smith. And it had a TJ Custom Action job. It was pre-lock. It was daddy's little baby. Had a 1993 set of Coca-Bolo Spiegel grips on it, which are now on you know, something else. And it's like, you send it to Smith and go, oh, we'll send you a 442 back. Oh, no, you're not sending me you know, a $339 you know, lock new one that kind of sucks for what I just sent you. So I ended up, they ended up sending me a 43C and 22. It's not quite right enough for me to carry, but it's a good training gun for my 340. So that's the other option with a training gun too, is instead of going to steel, you can go to a 22 uh, trainer. And that's another good option. That actually is a good transition to using it as a training tool also to include laser grips, which is another haggard thing that he's always talked about. I'm not a fan. Okay. <laughs> I have them on a couple of guns, and I have them on primarily the guns that I use support side carry. Because I find the lasers on the wrong side. I'm so kind of drilled in on where my finger goes into uh, index. When I'm, I, I've gotten very good of not having my finger on the trigger all the dang time. You know, it's the fingers on is because I'm actually pressing it. So a lot of times when it's being deployed, they're being flat finger. People at gunpoint are probably going to be, you know, and I'm a big low ready guy is don't start covering people until you're ready to really shoot them and stuff. So that's where I don't find the big use for them. Or again, support side where, where now the laser's on the correct side for me it is, it is I do have them on that. Um, it's a very good option for most people. It's just for me, I find it a distraction because I find myself looking at the dot rather than looking at the sights that I know where they are. I, I'm big on putting a front sight between me and everything that's scary. Yeah, I don't want to see scary things anymore, so I block it with a sight, you know. So, right. um, but most of my snubs actually have pretty good sights on them. Um, I'm pretty uh, adamant about most of the stuff I do, ser any kind of serious carry with will generally have pretty good sights everywhere from pretty good to exceptional. I like the laser grips um, primarily because they're just good grips. The um, Crimson Trace ones, the uh, the boot size grips, the real short ones, um, I think they discontinued that size for the LCR for some reason. Uh, they still make them for the uh, J-frames, though. Uh, I would use those grips even if they didn't have a laser on them just because they fill my hand just right. There's just the right amount of uh, like padding on the back strap, 
Um, you know, that's going to be you know different for everybody, but I just like them as grips. Um, I also like the laser though um, for a novice who's not used to just getting a good index and using the front sight because most of them do have lousy irons. Um, I like them for uh, now having trained with them quite a bit. I, I do find what Daryl's talking about, like it being a distraction sometimes, but um, having shot quite a bit in low light and fading light as, as it gets darker, if the gun comes up and I can't see the sights, my, my vision just automatically shifts to where that dot is on the target. So um, I've got the laser now set up so that I can't see it. If I've got my sights aligned and I'm looking at the sights, I can't really see the laser, at least not up close. Uh, but then if I can't see the sights, I'll just target focus and it's there. So um, I, I think it's a good low light tool. I also think it's good if, um, you know, one of those weird situations on your back, on the ground, whatever, and you need to take a shot. Of course, that's going to be mostly near contact distance anyway, but it kind of gives me a little peace of mind. Um, so yeah, it, if they weren't such good grips in general, I probably wouldn't go out of my way to get the, the laser grips, but the Crimson Trace, they, they've done a really good job with that. They haven't done the same with the, um, the K-frame grips. The KL-frame grips are horrible. I think those are just a very poorly shaped grip, but whoever designed the J-frame grip knew what they were doing. So. Yeah. One of the big problems is I've seen so many uh, what I call stupid cop tricks with lasers that I get very jaded about them on that. It's not, it, I'm of the opinion, every less lethal thing cops have should have a laser attached to it. Cause I used to see what I call Jesus syndrome is where they tell the cops, go ahead and shoot me. And then when you don't get shot, they're Jesus, you know, um, it's over empowering. So, you know, guys will put dots on them and everybody's oh, I'm using it to intimidate people. Okay, well, when the guy says to shoot me and you don't, he wins. You know that, right? So what I like is when a dot goes on and a beanbag's right behind it or something, when they say, yeah, go ahead and shoot me, and something impacts them, it's kind of a, a, a cool thing to make that stop happening. But I saw so many people using them poorly for intimidation, uh, trying to get compliance from people because they were afraid to go hands-on. So now we're lasering everything. And we're basically put, pointing guns at misdemeanors, which is like stupid. Uh, it's how bad things happen. Um, and then, you know, a lot of them, if you can see the laser, you got your finger on the trigger. So that's a double whammy of that. The finger's on the trigger. You're scared. You're screaming at a dude who's not compliant. And I'm trying to intimidate him with a laser. So I know the guns, it, when I negligently discharge it, it's actually going to hit them. You know, this is a, a you know, kind of a crazy thing. So on the novice shooter, they're really good because if they're not going to devote the time to training on how to properly use visually verified sites, pressing triggers correctly, doing that, they are a pretty good thing. Um, I just see so much bad with them, but I am going to, then, you know, I've been afraid to talk about this anywhere. So I'll bring this up here because it leads into it. One of the things I've noticed on some of the active shooter stuff, and I'm trying to look at this from a training aspect as opposed to being morbid about it, if these poor people are getting massacred by savage, evil people, maybe we can learn something from it. So I started looking at some of the efficiency levels of the shooters who are coming in with lasers who are not trained shooters at all. Uh, most of them are being video game trained 
And I'm not trying to do the whole video games are the evilest thing. What they are, though, is they are trained to use dots and lasers. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Because of their target focus, using a laser to guide, and that's what they're training on. So when they get it on their gun... When they had the shooting at the video game thing and they released the the audio of that, one of the things I noted on the audio was the pace of the shots was very, very controlled. And I sat there and I go, wow, I wish we could get cops to shoot at that controlled level pace. Well, what was controlling the pace was he was shooting to the laser and shooting very efficiently because he was basically – Shooting to the speed he could see his sights, in which case was the dot. It sort of sets in on how important not outshooting your sights is and that we can sort of learn from some of these things. So for a lot of novice people if you can, who, who haven't developed the uh, clock, their subconscious clock on speeds to shoot to target acquisition, it can be a big help. Unfortunately, the other side of that is they tend to over-rely on it. Um, I remember in the middle of a qualification, we had one of the, our officers laser on his gun shoot a backup course. And it was, you know, n- you know noon on a sunny day because they could, you know, executive management came at lunch, you know, on the clock in the department car. And it's like, you know, okay, beep, you know, and the guy's all turns around and goes, hey, I can't see my dot. Okay, well, maybe you got to use the bumpy things on the top. But I mean, he just stopped. He's like, I can't, I can't see my dot. How am I supposed to? Wait, I can't. Yeah. How how are we supposed to do this call course? So, you you had um, so much focus on the only way I can shoot this gun is with a laser, and the over dependence on it. Um, Same syndrome I see with law enforcement with the over dependence on the taser is like nobody knows how to hit anybody or use a control hold or anything else anymore or fight because, well, you hit them with this thing and Thor comes down, electrocutes bad guys, and it's all better until that never works, and then they don't know what to do. So, again, you you can buy yourself into putting so much emphasis into this laser is going to put those rounds right where I want them every time, no questions asked. And my wife is a chief range officer at a large place. Um, and I, when I go to pick her up from work or whatever, and I go shoot there all, a lot, and you know, I go watch in the range of what's going on and a lot of shooters with the laser. And it's absolutely hilarious because I'm watching sort of what their dots are doing on, you know, on target. I'm like, oh, that's a cool 
trigger press, you know. <laughs> so, you know, they have some ability to that, but for most of the people who could kind of benefit from them, a sort of aren't. Um, so, you know, it kind of, uh, I'll give credit to Caleb Giddings on this, as he came up with this sort of you thing for where J-frames fit, and I shared it on, on our Facebook thing because it was so good, is for the extreme novice people, we just don't want them to shoot themselves is a lot of these snubs are really good compared to giving them a small semi-auto, you give them a small J frame that they aren't going to really hurt themselves with hopefully. And as their experience and training gets up, they have less and less of a need for that. And then as their training and experience goes up, they start to become the experts guy. And you start talking to a lot of serious, you know, people who have devoted their entire lives to doing this. And, you know, they're all, a lot of them are going to be real proficient with snub revolvers because you found a lot of useful. You know, back in the old days when, you know, where real shooters carried full steel Colt 1911s, I, you know, matter of fact, I think I saw Chris do that guy at SHOT Show last year. <laughs> Those guys, you know, they were, you know, my 1911 carried in a milk sparks, you know, that, okay, those are my people. And, you know, in the reality, you used to go talk to them, and it's like after a class, they all get a J-frame on. You know, nobody's got the 41-ounce um, steel 1911. I tried that for a while of doing my Milt Sparks 1AT, two mag pouches, rolling that off-duty in Southern California. That didn't last real long before. It's like I look like an idiot in my, you know, either cut-off sleeve flannel shirt or fishing vest in Southern California in the summer, you just look like a moron trying to cover all this stuff. So, you know, we learned, but you know, the, the small snubs were, they are a great size efficient tool for a non-permissive environment option. And, you know, I'm going to quote Cecil Birch again, you know, one of the things is go get a real job. You know, go to work like I did for a while, where if you're found with a weapon, you're immediately terminated. No, I was retired, so I didn't give a crap if I got terminated. And I looked at them straight in the face, and I'd say, I do not have a gun. Because I got asked all the time, do you carry a gun? No, I do not have a gun. I had two guns, so I wasn't really lying. I really worded that specifically. But should have anybody saw or figured that out, I was done. And there's a lot of people in our circles who do have a real job. Where if you're found with a firearm in a working environment, you're done. And you're never going to get another job because that's going to, when they call your previous employer and you got terminated for having a firearm at work, well, all of a sudden a little tiny airweight revolver in, some, in, a, in you know, smart carry or some deep concealment rig starts to make a whole lot of sense that at least, I, and then, you know, and then when you go to your car, grab your, you know, in my case, grab your fanny pack full of death. And, you know, load up for the drive home, but at least while you're at work or in this environment, you can at least be armed. And a lot of people aren't going to, in a manner that's not going to, uh, it, it, in a very low profile manner. That is true, real concealed carry where, you know, to me, concealed, there's two kinds of concealed carry. There's sort of off-duty cop concealed carry where I don't care if you can, yeah, my gun's printing. I look like I got a, you know a colostomy bag and under my cop, you know, bad cop, no donut t-shirt. You know, okay. Yeah. I got a badge that goes with this. I don't care. You know? Um, and I carried that way for a long time. I carried big guns and, you know, and, you know, I was a king of the gigantic blood. Now I'm old enough where the fanny pack makes me just look old. You know, when I was younger, it was, 
you know, that was just, it's an off-duty cop with, you know, a gun. Okay. And then there's people who go to work in the real work environment every day who cannot carry a firearm at work. You know, my wife is in that boat right now. Everybody's, oh, you need this, you need that, and stuff. It's like, she works in an environment. You cannot, if they see you with a weapon, you are gone, period. And, you know, so you, you, you have to comply with that. Or if you are not going to comply with that, you better have your stuff. It had better be deep, you know, and... So that's where these things really fit in there. Great rule one guns are great for have a gun when you can't have a gun. Um, think about travel. You know, again, you get diverted into New Jersey. I don't care what badge. You get diverted in New York. Go get diverted into Chicago. Go fly to Chicago. Um, go look at how many vacation flights you're going to the one place on earth. I despise more than anything and will never go to again if I got, you know, I, you, you know, like, uh, pilot, you're turning the plane around. We're not going to Newark. Under no circumstances do I ever want to visit the Newark airport ever again in my life. So again, think about going to those places. Think about what it's going to be like for you in California today. Well, would you rather have a snub with, with quad cutters where you have a gun and aren't going to go to jail for the sheer administrative crime of having a gun, or are you going to take your comp optically sighted 20 round magazine blaster of death and just being found with a gun you're going to jail take your pick you know all of a sudden these things start becoming in today's world um you know i like living in texas i don't like leaving texas but every so often you know, I have a life and i have to or sometimes the phone rings and hey you need to be in chicago in the morning okay you know i go to chicago in the morning i'm carrying two revolvers Okay, <laughs> you know, what you got to do? So, you know, you think about that. So being proficient with both is a good thing. So let's cover calibers and ammo selection. Chris, you're up. <laughs> well, let's start at the bottom. Um, 17 HMR. <laughs> oh, not that far down. Oh, okay. Uh, Daryl mentioned uh, 22s, good trainers. Um, Smith and Wesson and Ruger both make good eight-shot 22s. Um, I, they're great for fun guns if you just want to make a lot of noise. Uh, great for training. I, I have a blast shooting the 43C. Like I, I can shoot 500 rounds through that in an afternoon and not even really think about it. Uh, they do get gummed up really fast, so you kind of have to bring a cleaning brush with you and, and keep the uh, under the extractor star kind of cleaned out. But that's, I mean, if you shoot the 500 rounds through any revolver, that's probably going to be an issue. Um, but with that dirty 22 ammo, it's it, it can happen a lot faster. But uh, for carry, I don't know. I mean, if if you want to carry 22, uh, a lot of people like the Velocitors and the Stingers, both CCI ammo, a little higher velocity than normal. Um, I think the Velocers might be a little better uh, in terms of ballistics out of a snubby barrel, uh, but it's probably kind of a toss-up. Um, 22 Magnum, I mentioned that last week. It's surprisingly good for what it is in terms of ballistics anyway. Uh, I still would probably go with like a CCI um, mini mag or something, but the Gold Dot actually was fairly decent in, in our 
little preliminary test expanded a little bit. I don't know that it would always do that and I haven't tested it enough to be real confident about that. So that's why I say the mini mags. Um, but you know, ammo selection is a little sticky with the, with the smaller calibers anyway. Uh, up from that, you've got the 32 family of, uh, of calibers, which have recently become near and dear to my heart. Uh, so there's basically four of them. If you're not familiar with them, there's 22 short, 22 long, I'm sorry, 32 short, 32 long, 32 H&R Magnum, and then 327 Magnum. And they're all backwards compatible. So if you've got a 327, it can fire all four of those. If you've got a 32 H&R Magnum, it can fire the bottom three, et cetera. Um, 32 short is pretty much useless. Not good for much of anything. It's, it's basically obsolete. Uh, the 32 long, there's a lot of snubbies floating around out there that are chambered in 32 long. Um, the, the old uh, Smith & Wesson I-frame. So it's like a J-frame, but it's got a shorter cylinder. It's in proportion to the size of that round. So the frame is actually shorter. It's smaller than a J-frame. Um, there's a bunch of those out there. Uh, and then later on, when they started using that same uh, model, but well, they basically consolidated. So they used the 38 size frame for the 32s and they called that the model 30 when it was chambered in 32. So it's the size of a J frame, but it's still a 32 long. Um, I think that, that, that might be another caliber that punches above its weight. Um, I, I've messed around with a, with 32 long wad cutters a little bit, and I've been surprised at how much they'll penetrate in gel. Uh, you get six rounds instead of five. Uh, I mean, if that's all you got, then that's all you got. But uh, I would look into a wad cutter for something like that. Um, 32 HR Magnum, that's what I'm carrying now a lot. I've got an old, um, I mean, it's old now, but it's really like from the 90s. Uh, Smith & Wesson 332, uh, that's a 32 HR Magnum aluminum frame, titanium cylinder. So it's one of those like 11 ounce guns, but you can actually tolerate shooting it. Uh, the only problem there is the cost of ammo because it's not like shooting 38. It's a little more expensive than that. Uh, and the problem with the 32 H&R Magnum is there's only a couple of companies making ammo, and it's really tough to find it for less than like 60, 70, 80 cents a round. So you're not going to be practicing a ton with that. So most of your practice ends up being with the 32 long ammo. Um, but out of that little titanium gun, I can shoot 32 longs all day. It's a lot of fun. But with 32 Magnums, it's still not... Uh, it's still, I think it's still more pleasant to shoot than 38 with wad cutters in that size gun. Uh, and again, I get a, a sixth round out of it. Uh, the 32 H&R ballistics, I, I think they're approaching 38 special ballistics in terms of what kind of penetration I'm going to expect. You're still going to have a hard time finding around that's going to penetrate and expand out of a two inch gun. But, uh, like Black Hills and I think Buffalo Boar are both making uh, 32H Magnum. This I believe it's an XTP bullet, and uh, that penetrates pretty good. It doesn't expand because it's an XTP, uh, but it penetrates pretty good. And then um, Federals, I think the only one they're still making in 32 Magnum is a like a lead flat nose bullet, and that's probably just fine too. I think that's penetrating at least 18 inches in gel. Uh, so I think that's a great middle ground. I just wish it was more supported by the industry and there was, there was more demand for it. I think it would be the, the go-to caliber for snubbies uh, if it wasn't for the ubiquity of 38 Special. Uh, then up from there, of course, 38 Special. 
A lot of your guns now are going to be chambered in 357 Magnum, like the um, the lightweight 340 that Daryl has. That's a 357 Magnum gun. I guarantee you, Daryl's not shot more than a couple of Magnums out of it, if any. Am I correct? Zero. Yep. Uh, if you do that, you'll only do it once because it's just straight up painful. I don't care who you are. Um, so 38s out of those guns are the way to go. Um, I don't shoot 357s out of anything less than a steel gun, like a, an SP-101 or a uh, maybe a 640. I've tested some rounds out of um, LCR and 357 uh, more than I would have liked, but just to demonstrate recoil differences and like time on target with, with uh, shooting drills and that kind of thing, even if you're not bothered by how the recoil feels, how does it affect your shooting ability? So I've tested it with that kind of thing, but I, I really don't recommend doing it on a regular basis. Um, you're not going to shoot as well. It's probably going to hurt. And even if it doesn't hurt, and even if you're, you are shooting it great, you're probably going to have some long-term physical effects from that. It's going to mess up your hands. If you shoot it, if you shoot it enough to get good at it, it's going to hurt you in the long term. put it that way. So I, I think 38 is a, a good round for snubbies. I wouldn't go with anything larger than that. Uh, I mean, lar like larger caliber wise, there's like 44s and 45s. And I, I'm uh, out of my depth on that stuff. I have little to no experience with the big war snubbies. So I'd, I have to let Daryl chime in on that stuff. Chris did such an exceptional job on the other stuff. I won't even go there except that it was <laughs> one good buy. Um, the one guns I do see a lot of, and I grabbed one recently, fairly cheap. Um, 32 new police Colts, which is 32 long. Uh, Colt called it the new police because you couldn't call it Smith and Wesson long and put that on your guns. But um, those are the ones I'm finding all the time for $300 or less in a good little revolver. And you know, they're really great for the family member. I just want a gun in the house. They're very low recoil, very easy to shoot, and they're simple guns that if you want a sock drawer gun, one of these nice older, and I mean, they're nice, good condition, older Colts and 32 new police, because nobody, you know, none of the collectors want them is what it comes down to. So they're really good old people gun. I actually bought one that was some old Texas rancher as a go-to-the-bank gun. It's got like engraved wood grips. And it was one of a super weird gun. It was one of the last Colts ever made. They had a ton of detective special frames. And this one's got like a 1950s barrel cylinder and everything else in it, a 32 New Police, but it's on a 1980s frame. And, yeah, this little guy carried it forever, going to the bank and doing ranching stuff, and I'm sure shooting snakes and whatever and fit in his back pocket. And, you know, and he was elderly, so they, you know, they put in a kind of an orange front sight for him, and it had a decent, you know, he could shoot the thing. So there's something sort of to be said for that back pocket gun for people who aren't gun people. Um, One more quick comment on that. I'm a 32 long cartridge in general. That is a really inherently accurate cartridge. So just for a plinking gun, I, I bought a, uh, a pre-model 30 Smith & Wesson 32 long the other day. It's a, it's a little snub nose, steel snub nose. Uh, I think that might be the most accurate gun I own at this point. Uh, I was at the range with some guys the other day, and uh, none of them were really shooters. And they're like, oh, can you shoot that target down there? And it's this little like 8-inch steel popper that's like it's 60, 70 yards and I pick up my my Langdon Elite LTT, and I'm like, yeah, I can probably hit it. So, I, of course, I crank off like 10 rounds and don't hit it at all. 
And then I pick up that little pre-model 30, first round ping, second round ping. And I'm just like drilling this steel with this little snubby. And part of that is just the inherent accuracy of that round. I don't know why, but for whatever reason, uh, it is, it's, it, you can drive tax with it. Yeah, some of those things are surprising. Um, a bunch of years ago, I was uh, AIing for Mark Fricky at a class, and Mark is a just a god on these guns. I mean, he is really good on the this, the revolvers. And we did a walk back drill on an IDPA, you know, steel thing. I was shooting one of the real, the last of the real Austrian Glock 19s. You know, there's that one little serial number range that they were actually really made. And it's my, you'll never get me to sell a Glock 19, you know. Uh, you know, it works, it ejects and extracts and does everything super accurate. Mark was shooting a Smith & Wesson Terrier in 38 Smith & Wesson, and it took me to 225 yards to drop Mark on a walkback drill. He hit to 225. I, I got it at 250, and I think Mark missed, missed at 250. The, it's frightening with a guy shooting a 38 Smith & Wesson Terrier, which, again, is smaller than a J-frame Smith, in an anemic 38 Smith & Wesson who is shooting with whatever you have out to that distance. So you can get good with these things. Now, as far as big bore snubs, that was a big thing for me. Uh, I just got an ASP, which was a 44 Special. Ruger Speed 6 converted to 44 Special. I, I'd wanted one since it was on a magazine in the 80s, and I'd never seen one. I you know, gave up a kidney and got one recently. But I was big on big bore snubs, particularly when I was carrying a big bore you know, primary revolver. I'm addicted to the things. There's a place for them. Uh, it used to be very much in the outdoorsy world where you needed sort of a compact gun for maybe a you know a pouch or chest carrier on a hip, you know, with some waders and stuff. And you could, you know, everybody had their bear gun, you know, which is you know bear guns are sort of the things that I have. I have 482 bear guns, um, and have, you know, don't. I've never been to Alaska. Uh, I, I tend to correct that, but I've never been. Um, I did have one bear encounter in my life, and luckily I was carrying a snub 454 Kasul uh, Ruger uh, Super Alaskan. And uh, the uh, you you end up with they're not super practical for today's world unless you live in a band state world and you're using it as your go to trouble gun. So I was supposed to go on a military contract a few years ago to, uh, I think it was Fort Drum in New York. So I was going to be at you know, New York for a month. And uh, so I had a, I was all set up, you know, Smith & Wesson 627, 8-shot. You know, and normally in the old days, I would have had a, you know, 44. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. A mag version of that with specials in it or something. But I'm sitting there going, you know, if I got to go to New York and an eight-shot in-frame snub that I could hit with, you know, there's worse things in life than that. So what the big boars will get you is they perform real well 
Um, when I researched my agency's shooting, we never had anything but a one-shot dump with 45 Colt. Every single shooting that connected was one round. Um, there's something to be said for that. It doesn't always book out right or gel test right or whatever, but there's something about, and particularly when you get a big bore bullet driven at a medium to highest velocity and they hit bone, uh, tends to be one of those life-altering things for the person who's in possession of that bone at the time. Um, and it's just basic hard things hitting hard things harder hurt, you know. Um, so there's that. But the uh, one gun I carried extensively when I was working uh, ghetto bike patrol, my backup was a uh, uh, Smith & Wesson 296, which was a Scandium. Chris, those are Scandium, right? I think it was one of the first Scandiums. Yeah, um, I think that's right. Five-shot 44 Special with a humpback like the bodyguards. And tell you what, you know, 200 grain 44 Special – uh, out of that thing, and we uh, we shot it the revolver roundup into gel last year, and I think it was probably the most impressive performer. That gun since been to Bowen for sights and uh, an action job, and I, you know what what it allowed me to do is I carried a big bore gun that worked really well. Uh, I was doing a lot of mountain biking in those that era, so that was also my mountain biking gun because I was really worried about mountain lions and people wanting to steal my bike on a trail. And that was just a great gun for that. So um, there's sort of a place for them, but not much unless you're limited to, I can't carry what I want. They're really good for people who want to carry a 45 ACP and for whatever reason can't, cause they're in some kind of weird place. And, you know, or again, Alaska, things like that. There's sort of a place for those, but for general carry, they're hard to carry. You need a real belt and a real holster. Uh, with most of them, or the super airlights. Like, I got a 329 Night Guard, so it's like a 23-ounce 44 mag. I'm afraid to shoot it. It's new in the box and has never been fired. If anybody wants to work me a deal on that for a 315, I will happily do it because I'm literally afraid to shoot it. Uh, I did a test years ago for Hamilton Bowen on his sights. I was writing an article, and one of the guns he sent was one of their it's a four-inch airweight 44 mag. Oh, is it 329, Chris? Is that the – Yeah, I think that's right. all-black four-inch barrel Scandium 44 mag. With 329, wood, yeah. Yeah, it was wood grips. was one of the worst painful experiences I've ever had in my life. I was like, oh, my God, this is horrible. And this is from a guy who's got, like – more 44 mag snubs than anybody should be allowed to own. And I was like, this is stupid. Um, some, like I said, my Ruger Super Alaskan, though, I got to say, it, that little, because of grip design and sort of the gun, again, it's a Bowen gun with sights and a lanyard because a lanyard keeps evil spirits away. Uh, you know, Ken Hackathorne told me that, so it must be true. Uh, <laughs> But that thing has been my fishing outdoor gun for a lot of years, and it is actually more comfortable to shoot that snub-nosed Ruger with 454 Casul than my 7.5-inch Magnaported Freedom Arms gun. So that's another one that would make, you know, it shoots 45 Colt, shoots, you know, low rounds, high rounds, all the way up to, like, full house killing buffalo uh, rounds out of sort of a snub. It, for me, it was always easy to carry fishing or in a, in a chest pack. So... There's sort of a limited use for them, other than they're stupid cool. 
there's just something cool about snub nose, big bore in frame guns. You know, uh, I just got, if you want a little history, I just got a big kind of discussion on one of the forums about Fitz guns. So the Fitz guns are for uh, J. Henry Fitzgerald, who was a New York State policeman, representative, and consultant to Colt back in the 1920s through the 40s. Or actually, I think he started actually even earlier than that. But it's the cut trigger guard, bobbed hammer, short snub barrel. Well, you know, a lot of guys, oh, my God, they cut the front of the trigger guard. It's dangerous. It's horrible. It doesn't fit with anything we do today. Okay, I get it. Okay, yeah, and I have a couple really cool fences. Um, once I got them, I sort of understood sort of the process they're going through. But here's the thing is, you know, what most people don't realize is John Henry Fitzgerald was a New York State police investigator. He wore overcoats with, um, good Lord, stop. Um, he wore overcoats. My phone's telling me I need to take Oxycontin right now, but I'm going to wait till we're done. Um, and Neuron, nothing like a numbing and a, and a moron pill to have a fun interview. So, um, so he would wear big, heavy overcoats because it's Northeast and they wore gloves. And contrary to what all the, you know, my, my, my rights and I'm going to open carry at Starbucks and okay, whatever. But the reality is it's never been socially acceptable to carry openly carried guns in a metropolitan environment period ever in any society ever, you know, um, even, you know, the New York police department, the LAPD, all those back in the you know, 18 to 1900s in the transition, they carried concealed. They were under overcoats if they had a gun. So, he, he would have holsters built into the pockets of his overcoat and carry these and would cut down these Colt new service, 45 Colt revolvers and have one in each pocket. Now, do you think the problems were much different in the roaring twenties and the prohibition depression era gangster era of the twenties? And we have now for getting street robbed, accosted, whatever. And what he would do is he would actually lift the guns out of his pocket by the trigger and could touch them off with gloves on again accessibility speedy accessibility you know you look normal walking around with your hand in your overcoat you can't get that coat off to get a typically hip concealed inside the waistband holster so his solution was to build these short barrels so they'd fit in the pocket bobbed hammer so they wouldn't hang and cut the trigger guard so that with gloves on you could hook the triggers and deploy the guns already on a trigger you can press with those gloves. Now, you know, I realize, oh my God, you know, okay, the triggers are 12, you know, anybody's touched off a new service, a Colt new service, those don't go off accidentally. You really got to put some bicep into them. Um, I've got a Canadian Northwest Mounted Police new service as my retirement gift to me. Um, all the old new service guns, they're, every one of them, the grip is chipped. The back of the grip. Everyone I've ever seen the grips are jacked. Because you know what they use them for? It's like, boom, here, watch this. They weigh a ton. They got triggers that are just abhorrently heavy. So for him to lift those guns out either hand and be able to access them was great. Then they started doing the smaller frame guns. And you know what that became? The Colt Detective Special. He's the king of the snub. He's the guy who invented all this. And it was all invented around urban carry accessibility in deep concealment where it wasn't socially acceptable to carry a gun. Um, you know, when you're hobnobbing with the elite in New York, nobody wants to see your gun. It's no different than walking into Starbucks today. Um, 
I, I have sort of a theory is I don't want to see most people naked and I don't want to see your gun. So there's some people I do want to see naked and there's some guns I do like to see. So if you're carrying an engraved 1911, like a $3,000 rig with exotic leather and stuff, yeah, go ahead. Cause I want to see that. Uh, but your phobus and your whatever, that's never been acceptable. And, and that was not acceptable then. We were also transitioning from horsebound transportation to vehicle transportation. We we're transitioning into um, generally accessible uh, public transportation. Holsters changed, carry method changed, all that. John Henry Fitzgerald was sort of the push behind building smaller concealable guns. That, And you want to know what the Glock 42 of the day was, or the 43? It was insane when I've done research how many people carried Colt 1903s and 1908s. Flat, easy to shoot, not a great ballistic cartridge, but God, it's like when I moved to Texas, I find these all over and everyone's got the same story. They're either brand new in the box or they were a, you know, sock drawer gun. Or my great great grandfather was a preacher and carried it. That's his, he carried it in his pocket when he preached. Yeah. So this is all not new. And we've had this debate, but you know, we had a very famous gun writer was actually killed dropping one of those 1903s. Um, they just, it's the same issue. They just kind of weren't as safe as carrying a revolver in the same circumstances for pocket carry. So, and those pocket autos actually do have an actual hammer inside. They're not like a striker fired, but you know, they're, they're, those were all, this was where all of that stuff came about is all of the same issues we have today is trying to develop guns to carry in a place that's not socially acceptable to carry guns by people who are not supposed to be carrying guns. And there, you, you know, that's where we're at. And it's, completely cyclical hundred years later we're in the same exact place you know it's fun listening to this and as you guys bring up different guns i'm looking them up <laughs> and on gun broker there is a fit special hey a fit special like a rolling special yeah uh twenty eight thousand dollars okay is that uh clint people's gun uh i can't tell i don't know okay has it got stag grips on it and a texas star on the side and some engraving no, it looks pretty clean, clean but, stock. So one of the most famous Texas Rangers, Clint Peoples, um, he was, you know, he was into the whole Ranger image, all the Gucci belts with the engraved 19, you know, uh, all the engraved guns and stuff. That was, he carried one as a pocket gun. His gun is for sale right now. It's a Jackson Armory where hmm. I, have my, I have my own chair in Dallas. If you're ever in Dallas and you don't go to Jackson Armory, you're wrong. His gun is sitting in there and uh, yeah, I think it's starting at 20 something. Okay. They bring big money. Um, I have one that was carried by a Texas state investigator, and then he went to work for a huge international corporation. And he traveled overseas with this thing. He's had some federal agent status as well. And, you know, it's a it's a really cool you know stag handled fits, and it, it looks like it's done in the factory. Shipped in 1940 to Puerto Rico, and uh, you know they're just super cool guns. When because most of those, you know, who carried those. Um, you know, they were the rolling special of the day. You know, that's what they were. They were what the super gun dudes carried, you know. 
uh, M.T. Gonzalez of the you know, Lone Wolf Gonzalez, who that's where the Lone Ranger came from, the Texas Rangers. You know, he had his 1911 setup that would cut trigger guards, but he also had a pair of engraved 1926-44 specials. Fully embellished engraving, cut triggers, the whole nine yards. You know, that was just a, if you were a gun dude, that was a thing. You know, Bill Jordan would do half the fits, so he'd cut half the, the side of the trigger, so it was just easier to get in the trigger guard, but wasn't so much to lift the guns in. But, you know, Jordan had, you know, it was what, like six foot eight with world's massivest hands on top of it. So um, a lot of these, is this any different than stippling? You know, you're adapting the firearm for what you're doing. You know, the other benefit, too, which kind of gets me into the thing nobody ever talks about. So once I got heavy into this, um, particularly on the LAPD stuff, there were four very famous grip makers at LAPD. Um, and two of the biggies were, were Fuzzy Ferrant and uh, John Hurst. And then there was this other guy nobody's ever heard of named John Hogue. I'm sorry, Guy Hogue. And... These guys learned from two other older guys on how to make grips, but those three were more into our era. And you pick, once I started buying those guys' grips, and they're horribly expensive now, but all the cops carry them. All the Adam-12 guns had fuzzy Frank grips on. Um, you put these guns in your hand, and you know what they do? They sight themselves. You literally pull them out and you go, oh, my God, this is unbelievable. I, I mean, you just go like this and the, 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 you're looking through the sights. They're sort of like having a well-fitted shotgun. How much jumping through hoops do we do now if my grip, I've got to do this, that, and the thing to drive the sights on the grip? Well, the revolver, you just have the grips made to fit so it drove the sights for you. I have a set of fuzzy front grips on like my dream gun it is – they're asymmetrical in that when you they're set up for a two-handed hold, right-handed, and if you transition to just the left hand, it sets up exactly the same way, only on one hand, and they're kind of a funky asymmetric shape. Try that with your semi-auto Glock. Yo, these guys could craft grips to exactly fit the size of your hand. We can take these guns and fit them to your hand instead of the my my grip thing i grip everything differently i'm kind of weird like like you know i had a moment in my training world uh uh larry nichols who is a very famous firearms instructor in southern california from burbank pd i came up and i'm shooting he looks at me and he goes how you holding that thing and i go oh well you know and he goes well you know you're he goes son that ain't a 1911 and you don't hold it that way and it was my completely changed how I held and shot. It's all of a sudden I could shoot a Glock because Larry showed me how to change my grip. So I grip a 1911, different than I grip a Glock, different than a USP, different than a Beretta. Bur you know, these things aren't the same. Our hands aren't the same. And everybody's trying to fit this. I'm reading a thing on the internet the other day. You know, my head is exploding. Well, I'm shooting my revolver with a thumbs forward grip because that's how I run my auto. What? So I've got already set on my phone. So I've got a picture of a Glock and a picture of a two-inch M&P. And I'm like, okay, these things are not the same. They are not the same animal. They don't recoil the same. They don't work the same. They don't shape the same. Nothing about these two tools is the same. It's like trying to sit there and go, um, I'm trying to screw 
the Phillips head screwdriver in and I'm holding it like a hammer, but it's not a hammer. Yeah, no kidding, dude. You know, be a human being and adapt to stuff. You know, these things, you, you know, and it's like, well, I hold my thumbs down enough so that the, you know, all the, the junk spraying out the side of that cylinder won't cut my thumbs off. Okay, when you're rolling around in a gutter somewhere and you don't have your thumbs quite right on your grip, you know, because I got to get my, you know, I got to recoil. Okay, you know, whatever, dude. But when you burn the front of your thumbs off, you're not going to be happy. Uh, your thumbs forward grip's going to be shorter than everybody else's. Um, these things don't work the same, and you got to kind of hold them different. Um, a lot of people use an overhand grip on the J frames. My wife does, Haggard does. She learned it from Chuck. Um, I used thumbs down on the revolvers, get them out of the way of everything. And generally, I have a one-handed grip, and I put the two hand, the second hand on top of it. Um, but, you know, trying to shoot these, you know, with the thumbs forward deep grip, you know, like I said, bad stuff comes out the side of the gun. And it might not be affecting you shooting 130-grain full metal jacket range loads. Go ahead and put some serious ammo in there, and let me know what's coming out the side. Or your cylinder's out of time a little bit. You start shaving lead out the side. That'll be exciting for you, too. So... You have a lot of people who, and, and you know, I don't blame them because we live in a Glock internet world and they don't know. Some people are finding out that 11 ounce guns are very size efficient, you know, that don't break and, you know, go bang every time and I can carry them basketball shorts. They unfortunately are in an age where most of the instructors they're running into have never seriously shot a wheel gun. All of the dudes look like me and grow snow beards who shot these things for serious reels. We used to go out in the, you know, 70s, 80s. You know, guys talk about crime now. I had some guy I wanted to slap on the internet the other day like, well, dude, you've never faced an MS-13 gang member at 2 o'clock in the morning on a traffic stop. Dude, do you know where I'm from? Where do you think MS-13 freaking came from? You know, Southern California? Like, yeah, my first day on the job, I went to seven shootings, not shots fired. I went to seven gang members shot on my first night on the job, never even made it to briefing. You know, so stop telling me about how the crap's violent. You go talk to guys who worked in New York, Los Angeles and stuff, Chicago, back in the 70s and 80s. And they're going to tell you to shut up about what crime looks like. You know, that's where like NYPD you used to have homicide numbers in the thousands. You know, you know, Pat Rogers, Ralph Friedman, all those guys in New York, they were pulling guns every night off of people. You know, Matt, you're a cop. How often are you getting guns off? Of, I mean, how often are you having a serious armed encounter with bad guys? Rarely. Where, where I live, very rarely. Where you are pulling a gun right off and they are armed on contact or in the middle of committing a crime with a firearm when you contact them. Now, I was putting up big numbers doing that like a couple of months. Okay, these guys were doing that every night are getting into armed encounters and we're doing it with six-shot revolvers and five-shot backups. And some went to the detective special because, you know, Friedman carried a detective special because he got an extra round as a six-shot. You know, so it makes sense. But you, you can do stuff. Again, it comes down to you had to think different. And these guns think different than what you do now. We've researched a lot. We couldn't find a whole lot of police shootings that went more than six rounds back in the day. Because you know what they drilled into in the academy in my era? 
if you take more than six, you're dead. Period. You better get this done. And you This better be one and done, Junior. Because mm. you, you, you need to get it done within six. So accuracy was so heavily emphasized. And it was the PPC era. You shot on bullseyes for, you know, this whole thing where I'm shooting on bullseye. I'm shooting a BA because Larry Vickers. Hey, love Larry to death. Do a lot of stuff based on what Larry teaches. I got pictures from the 1920s of Charles Askins down in the Border Patrol. Guess what he's got? Silhouette targets with a B8 stapled up to it, 1920s, because this is all new. You know, somebody invented it. No, we're just making circles is that somebody smart like, you know, Larry, Ken Hackathorn, and these guys are going, hey, that five-inch bull is about the size of what we really need to be hitting. Um, so the other stuff, you can do good work with these. It's just we have more efficient tools now that allow you to have um, – you know, the word firepower drives me nuts because if it doesn't come out of a belt and sort of fired out of an aircraft, that's not firepower to me. What the modern semi-auto has to me is it's a manipulations question, is I have to do less manipulations on the gun to stay in a fight. It doesn't go to slide lock or it doesn't go click not working anymore where I have to do a bunch of manipulations on the gun or a speed load or whatever to get that thing back into the middle of a fight when somebody's shooting at me. So less manipulations mean I get to stay in a fight longer doing less timely manipulations on the gun. Well, we came from an era where six, you had you get it done in six. So the manipulation was going to be, you better be able to have a second gun available or you better be awfully damn good on those speed loaders. And we set our gear up accordingly, but the reality was you just, it, you, we, you looked at the shootings, they were very deliberate. You know, what we found was guys would shoot six and lose, and, you know, everybody would miss. They'd miss, the crooks would miss, everybody would run off, or they were just dumping crooks. Like I said, our 45 long colt shootings were all one round. Guys would park a 45 long colt in an upper torso of a human, and we had one that was a leg shooting. Get shoot, shot in a femur with a, you know, 250 grain 45 colt. Or actually, you know, you're going to sit there, it's going to you – it's going to be a life-altering event. And that dude had already gotten shot with 638 specials, but as soon as he took one in the femur with the the uh, 45 Colt, it was all over with. But all the other ones were one and done. But because guys were parking rounds where they needed to. Because, <laughs> like, you're going to die if you don't get six. Where Look how training has progressed now. It's how fast can I put multiple rounds in Minus any level of assessment, how much are we training to shoot at faster than assessment speed? These things like pump shotguns, lever action guns, or whatever, they are deliberate shooting guns. You need to be deliberate on the triggers. You need to be deliberate at what you're doing. And they tend to work well with shooting inside of assessment speed, which nobody ever wants to talk about assessment speed, where everybody wants to train at shooting much faster than their ability to assess. So what are we parking in our subconscious shoot faster than we can assess? And then we're parking in our subconscious that, well, I'll just go faster if it's not working out for me, which is not usually a solution for success. Um, when you're carrying a, when you're carrying a snub in a deep non-permissive environment and stuff, you know what you start focusing on? <laughs> I need to hit on one. I have multiple opponents. It's a, it's literally a one opponent gun. So now if you have multiple, you have a complex problem. You know, your typical Glocks and Berettas and all the, you know, SIGs and whatever. They're, they're you know, 
three, four, five opponent guns. These are one opponent guns. So now luckily most of your conflicts are going to be within that for most of what people are running into. Or if you can solve the problem quickly with an efficient shot, if you carry one of the, you know, one of my big things is again, that, that you thing that Caleb came up with, if you're an expert carrying one of these things, if you train on them and get good, you can do a lot of good work with them, but it does require a significant amount of dedicated training. So if there were multiple assailants, would you suggest like uh, Pat's roadhouse rules where everyone gets one before well, they get well, seconds? Where, where, what I've always done with that is my training philosophy and doing it in force on force and stuff like that is I want to maneuver to stack the crooks. So I want to use sort of maneuverability to put them in a lot. Cause you know, they're, like I said, I, you know, I watch these shooting drills and I sit there and I go, what are, what are we training for? And I've been guilty of all of this. I, you know, the turret. Yeah. This is not like Daryl bulky has never done any of these things. This is like Daryl bulky's now old and broken in every part of his body trying to learn all this stuff. And I'm just going to tell you the day you get three or four perfectly lined up targets, that you don't have that are going to give you a situation where you don't have to assess them and you can shoot them as fast as you can. We're, we're, our country is in, we are in a massive state of chaos. That's overseas stuff. That is not, you know, in the no rules world. And even then we're getting rules overseas. Now I'm looking at all this stuff going, well, all these guys going to, you know, trying to imprison our bunch of our tier one guys for doing overseas. Job. So you look at this in the United States, you have to be able to articulate every time you press this. Okay. That's a physical thing. How fast can this articulate? Because that's how fast you need to be shooting is how fast can I articulate shots? So what I prefer we would be maybe doing and focusing on is how can we build speed into how fast we articulate our complex problems. People have been through like my counter robbery classes and stuff like that. Um, I cover a range with non-shoot targets and you know what you don't get to do on my range. You don't get to muzzle non-shoot targets. If it was your mom, sister, wife, kids, if it's your kids, do you want anybody, you know, running a muzzle over them? Now take most of the typical cops in your agency which one of those guys do you want muzzling your child with a finger on the trigger? You know, which one, how many, cause, cause I didn't trust most of mine and I don't want to do it myself. So you have that complex thing. In, and again, these things allow us to sort of counter what we're mostly going to encounter, which is some street thug sees you and wants what you have. They want to get paid. And it, these things are great for stopping people getting paid, you know, and they're stopping you from getting hurt in the process. Um, you know, I, I'm, you know, big, intimidating, physical human being. I'm broken beyond belief. I can, you know, I can barely function in life. I'm not fighting with anybody or getting shot, you know, or stuck. I'm going to cheat through the bitter end because I'm just too broken to fight with people anymore. You know, I look at everybody you know, like, uh, you know, Craig Douglas's class. Dude, have you done Craig's class? No, I did all that stuff for real on like concrete in the street. I don't need that. Now, a lot of people need Craig's classes because they've never been punched in the face before. They've never been in a real fight before. They've never done. Okay. I got, I got all those t-shirts and the injuries and the blood to go with it. But these things, what I found is most of these encounters tended to be close. They tended to be, 
intense and stuff. Would I ever go to work as a cop again with a revolver? Not if I had a choice. Again, because you're expected to people dial 911, you got to come help their emergency. I'm at a place in life where all I want to do is get out of the emergency, you know, most of the time. But, you know, I still carry a Langdon Beretta when I can because, you know, but they're sometimes fighting that urge to go be stupid. It's also a really nice pistol. Yeah, they are. Yeah. And, you know, I, I mean, I got everything. You know, you know, everybody knows me. I'm a gigantic red Kool Aid HK drinker. You know, but, you know, I just love, you know, I love guns. I love to shoot, you know. Um, but, you know, I'm just doing stuff. I'm shooting scores now on those Beretta. And I've never been a Beretta guy. I mean, never been. I was always a SIG guy back in those days. And, uh, you know, I'm shooting scores now with those Langdon Berettas that are frightening on drills, you know. And, uh, yeah, so we'll we'll see how it goes. But it's, uh, you know, what I'm finding is for most of the encounters, and, you know, the encounters I've had recently, the snub solved the problem, and I still had a 9-millimeter service auto front appendix, you know, which is, you know, we kind of know is the go-too-fast guy way of doing things. That snub was still much faster on the surprise encounter that's coming when I'm not expecting it versus I hear shots and I'm going to it or there's a crisis and I'm going to it. Now I can draw on getting the correct gun into the game. Um, yeah, it was funny years ago. I went to breakfast with a couple pretty stellar monster studs of the world. So three guys walk into a restaurant and they're all carrying fanny packs with nine millimeter. We all got snubs on us, you know, and it's like somebody made the comment of, you know, typical, you know, freaking old guys, you know, you're, you, you're, uh, you know, you carry a backup to go get in a fight with your primate, you know, your prime, it's all backwards, you know, that, you know, yeah, go ahead. We, uh, yeah, fanny packs are great things. I'm still in favor. I just wish some, somebody would make some new great ones. You know, but, um, yeah, Chuck, Chuck Haggard is my brother in the fanny pack club. Uh, I get a lot of guns. And, you know, it's funny. I used to hate those things because I thought they were such a big tell for cops. And I had one of our deep undercover cops, huge beard, long hair, and he lived like a scumbag doper, you know, rubber band around the, his pistol, never used a holster. I mean, he was a deep UC guy. And he gets promoted, you get rotated out of narcotics, gets clean cut, you know, white t-shirt, jeans, typical cop looks. He comes into my cop shop and he goes, hey, I need one of them big black eagle fanny packs. I'm all, dude, you're kidding me. I mean, don't you know better? All the crooks make that. He goes, yeah, I know. I live with crooks. <laughs> you know, for I've lived with nothing but tweakers like the last three or four years. So I know. He goes, you know what I found when I was living with tweakers is – when they see a dude with a white t-shirt, jeans, and a big black fanny pack, they know it's an off-duty cop. And not only do they know it's an off-duty cop, they know they're carrying a real big gun. You know, they've got their, their Beretta 90. They work at LAPD or LA Sheriff's. They're carrying a Beretta 92 off-duty. It's going to be a gun dude with a serious pistol inside that thing. And he goes, oh, the guys I used to, you know, was chilling with. He goes, oh, they avoided him like the plague. And, you know, so I went back to him, like, all of a sudden, you know, big cop mustache, T-shirt, jeans, and a gigantic black fanny pack. You know, nobody bum change off me anymore. You know, crooks, you see him kind of go away. I'm like, wow, this is like raid for criminals. The citizens have no idea what it is. They just think you're a dork, you know, who has no fashion sense. And the criminals are like, oh, that guy's got a gun, so I'm going to go over here now, or I'm not going to go bum trains off him because I might get shot in this process. And, you know, some of this stuff doesn't doesn't work like they say on the Internet. 
I was listening, you know, back then we were reading gun magazines. Oh, fanny packs are a towel. They know you got a gun. You know, fishing vest, you know, the tactical fishing vest. Yeah, you're armed. You know, how, how many times has Tom Givens gotten robbed? You know, guy dresses like he's out of an IDPA match. I mean, you know, and I love Tom to death. I mean, absolutely, Tom's my hero. And I'm like, dude, the guy's got a fedora and a fishing vest, you know, really? <laughs> you know, everybody knows that dude has a gun. You know, and what's frightening, absolutely frightening, you talk about your Glock 35. Yeah, Tom's in one of our classes. Then we're running a, a, a two-second standards. You know, from concealment, Glock 35, from a behind-the-hip concealment holster, you know, from the fishing vest, you know, like 1.9-something, six rounds into the bull. And, and Wayne and I look at each other and goes, did he just shoot a subset two something bill drill from concealment with the Glock 35? And we're like, yeah, Tom's frightening. We're like, okay, never mind. Don't mess with old people. <laughs> you know. Nice. But of okay. course, he's not doing CrossFit, so he, he has nothing to add. Oh, yeah. He, yeah. he doesn't know anything, you know. So <laughs> So got a question for you. Going back to the little tiny snubbies. I remember talking to my chief, my not my my previous chief before the one I have now. Uh, and he was of the, the older generation law enforcement, carried a, I think he carried a, what was it? It was some form of 357 Colt Python. And he said on his draw, he would already be applying pressure to the trigger as it, at, as it's going out. Do you also do the same with a snubby? No, <laughs> no, I don't do that with much of anything. Um, that used to be the way the, you know, hot high speed low drag DASA guns were, which I lived with my whole life, um, was, oh, you're going to time when it's going to go on. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that never seems to work out, you know. So um, currently on my DASA guns, I'm sort of on the uh, Langdon program of that. If you get up, you get your presentation, do you have your sights? Once the sights are confirmed, you can start early on that trigger press, but it's on confirmed sights. Um, I'm a big advocate. Uh, you know, I had a conversation with John Helms years ago, and John is a legend at LAPD with SIS. John, John, there's not many people more knowledgeable than John about uh, interpersonal shooting people under the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Um, you know, John and I are having a conversation. I go, you know, it's funny because I go to these classes, and I, I do everything wrong. You know, I draw on them and index until I'm confirmed on the sites, and then I start on the trigger. And, you know, everybody else is doing much faster because John's all, that's what I do too. He goes, but that's how you don't shoot the wrong people. So, again, you start applying, do I shoot a faster drill or do I shoot, you know, a better assessment for the street? You know, what am I training myself for? Um, Chuck Pressburg on one of the things made an exceptional point of, you know, look at the follow-through in competitive shooting. There is no follow-through you know, or whatever your pre-planned thing is, no follow-through. You know, our world, everything's follow-through because that's more assessed. That's where the assessment's happening for the next shot. So when I went to the police academy, I was taught that your finger is on the trigger the second you're on the draw or you're going to get killed. That's how we were all taught back then. Mm -hmm. We also point shot to seven yards. Uh, Pat Rogers and I had the exact same experience in the academy. I show up at the academy, competitive shooter, hung out with a bunch of shooting guys, read every shooting book known to mankind, all the gun magazines. And I show up, you know, first eight, you know, three yards, pull the gun out, up to eye line, you know, center punch, you know, just, you know, 
three round clover leaf dead center of the chest or six rounds. And an instructor comes over me and goes, what are you doing? Uh, you know, shooting the target. He goes, well, you're cheating. Cheating. <laughs> you know? Well, you're using the sights. You can't use the sights in that close. Well, I just did. I shot faster than everybody else and look at theirs and look at mine. And I'm like, cheating. You know? And Pat got told the same thing, that inside of seven yards, if you're using your sights, you're cheating. Dude, I am all about cheating when it comes to shooting. Yeah. So, you know, but that's, and we couldn't understand why cops never hit anybody on these close range gunfights. It's because they're all trying to shoot without any visual verification on sites. So I will find myself because of so much training that I will get on a trigger a lot earlier on a DA revolver on the snubs than I would on an auto. And it's sort of a bad habit. It's not how I train people. Um, I train them to Draw, wait till you, as soon as your sights are confirmed, then you can get on a trigger. Now, when you're shooting on contact distance shooting, everybody says, well, you can't see your sights. I, I didn't say your sights. You don't put your finger on the trigger until the sights are aligned. Just because I can't see them doesn't mean they're aligned. So once your sights are in alignment, which if you're on a physical body directed shooting, as soon as my sights are aligned then i can get on the trigger you know and i made a decision to shoot the whole package is there then you can get on the trigger um getting on the trigger much earlier than they're aligned i, I think the the uh, plus negatives of that are what likely going to get you into a negative outcome shooting that's the wrong person or whatever where you know wayne and i call it out running your headlights yeah you're you're into a trigger press before all the thinking stuff and problem solving has happened. So um, I'm a little different than most of the instructors out there now is I look at myself as a use of force tool instructor, teaching to use a shooter, a, a firearm as a problem solving tool, as opposed to a technical shooting thing. And there's a lot of great technical shooters out there. There's a lot of people doing amazing stuff on the technical shooting side, and I'm not discounting at all. It's just not where my primary focus is. My primary focus or what my lane is, is using these as a use of force, problem-solving tool, period. Everything else is a sideline thing. You know, if you want to talk about IDPA, USPSA, great. There's plenty of people who are absolutely subject matter experts on that other than me. But when it comes to actually trying to keep you in a uh, legal, ethical, and moral correct shooting, that's what I'm all about. Or use of that tool as a force tool. So, Great stuff. So how do you feel about coming back for additional discussions? Oh, great. You know, I'm peachy. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe we can get Haggard, we can get uh, Pressburg, we can get we can get like an all-star cast going. Yeah. And you know, my, you know, my thing, my other big thing is shotgun stuff. Um, there's a whole lot of, uh, and again, it's sort of like the revolver stuff. It's just, I'm just old enough that I use this stuff all the time. I'm from the era. The 12 gauge is my thing. I did everything with a 12 gauge. You know, I'm not discounting the carbine. It's just wasn't my thing. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm a gauge dude. Uh, you know, first shooting I was ever in was with Gage. So, you know, have actually used them, deployed them, done all the searches, was the weird guy at work who did them. It's my thing. So, you know, any of those class, any, any of those shows, um, 
Yeah, I laughed. I think you guys did a shotgun thing and had Pressburg on for one of those, and I'm cracking up. On I'm, purpose. I'm like, that's this is funny. <laughs> yeah, Chuck, tell me about all your gauge. <laughs> you know? It was I'm on purpose. Really, yep. I'm not really good for shooting certain things with certain systems, and the, the bead sight at 870 is not one of them. <laughs> so I, uh, I, I made the determination, or I just had the realization, you know, the uh, shotgun is the least trained gun that I own. Everything else I, I'm much more familiar with, much more comfortable with. I found out Rob Hot is going to be in town at the end of the month. Signed up. I'm going to ex expand that experience. I'm looking forward Rob's to excellent. it. Rob's excellent. Yeah. Um, I've done a couple classes with Rob. So yeah, he's, uh, yeah, Rob and I, you'll find there's a lot of everything we do is fairly similar. You know, not completely, but it's close enough for government work that um, there's not a lot of guys out there left who are good on shotguns. Um, and it's not that they're not good because they're not out training and doing classes and whatever is um, they lack the depth of personal experience on them, if that makes sense. Does. And, um, for somebody who's good, you know, basically teaching a basic home defense shotgun is, you know, it's a thing. Okay. You know, um, if you want to get into offensive use of the shotgun where you are taking a shotgun to a fight, you probably need to go to people who have taken shotguns to fights, who have cleared thousands of buildings with gauges, who have taken down thousands of vehicles with gauges, who have worked them in those environments to get an understanding of how to deploy them in a manner where, again, the home defense shotgun is kind of like the snub. It's a get-you-out-of-trouble tool. As opposed to using a shotgun as a go to get into trouble tool, there's a big sort of philosophical difference on how you run the guns. So, and one of the things I'm doing now is I'm getting into it. It's because of my wife. Is my wife is a big, uh, you know, she came, she was my own best friend in high school. We just recently kind of got back together a couple of years ago, and uh, she's came off a ranch in Colorado hunting, you know, upland bird hunting guide, taxidermist clay you know trap leagues and all that other. so she's really big on the wing shooting stuff which i've never done so now i've taken that up and i've learned a lot but one of the things we're doing is uh is i'm focusing on it starting to be able to teach people to run sporting shotguns in a defensive thing you live in california or new york and so you know what nobody ever cares about nobody cares about trap guns you shoot anybody you want with a trap gun nobody cares you know and we got a lot of people out there shooting thousands and thousands of rounds a year at birds and clays. That and then it's just sort of adapting what they're doing. They know how to aim and shoot. They can run that gun. We just got to teach them to run it, shooting people, you know, to save their family or defend their home. A lot of people in banned states. That's the solution, you know. Versus here, let me go dig my carbine out of the yard and then. Yeah. Go to for my magazine, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, given a choice of some hacked up, weird, God knows what abortion of a gun that complies with some socialist utopian laws of what a gun should be. You know, I'm sitting here looking at my, I just got my wife a Beretta A400 Extreme Plus. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, you can run that against humans. <laughs> you know, does ducks and all that other stuff good, but you can run that thing pretty, it, it's the, 1301 competition gun that's long barreled and camouflaged. That's the same, gotcha. yeah. same gun. <laughs> At, and the right now the 1301 seems to be it. Yeah. That is the shotgun right now. So 
Cool. Well, let's get some final thoughts. If there's any any uh, anything you guys neglected to bring up or that you feel that we should bring up, make sure you plug whatever you feel like plugging. Uh, Chris, final thoughts, final plugs. Yeah, um, I just I'll go back to a minute to what uh, Gerald was talking about with the um, negative outcomes thing. Um, that more than anything has probably shaped my thinking on a lot of this stuff over the last couple of years. Um, and I know anytime I bring that stuff up, people are just like, well, it's a training issue. It's a training issue. Everything is a training issue on some level or another. And the fact of the matter is like most people aren't going to train no matter how much we say they should or wish they would. Um, I mean, I've got a hundred, 180 some thousand subscribers on our YouTube channel, there are not even 180,000 people in this country who will get any kind of firearms training beyond what they are legally required to get to carry a gun, whether that's concealed carry class or hunter education class. If you look at some of the re uh, research that Carl Wren has done on this stuff, it's probably more like five digits if, if that, like maybe even low five digits in terms of people who will actually seek out training. So you know, it's, I wish that would change. And I hope that more people do seek training, but you know, like when we talk about like the, the Caleb Giddings bathtub curve for revolvers, I think that's a great analogy. I, that's like my go-to explanation for what, why I carry a snub, but I don't necessarily recommend everybody does. Uh, but the people on that lower end of the bathtub curve, uh, I think that covers a lot more people than just like your, your random aunt, whoever, who needs a gun. Like there, there are a lot of guys out there who consider themselves gun guys. They own a lot of guns. They don't really shoot them that much. Or if they do, they're not like every time they go to the range is like the first time they went to the range. You know what I mean? Like they're not improving. They're not studying shooting as a craft. It's not like a skill set they're developing. It's just a thing they do sometimes. If you go to the range half a dozen times a year and don't make any concerted effort at trying to get better of yours, blasting holes in the target you're not really getting better at shooting and a lot of those guys aren't really that great at gun handling either and that's i think another thing that we don't really we don't talk about it because we don't have really good vocabulary for it but like the gun handling side of things i mean i i've been in classes with people who are like supposed to be shooting at a high level but they're holding the gun just like the way they manipulate. I'm not even talking about their marksmanship. Just like the way they handle the gun is like it's a foreign object. And if the instructor says something like, you know, tap rack or decock or whatever, they like look at the thing for a minute and have to really think about it. And I think some of that is just like an inherent skill. Like I am an inherently horrible marksman. Like everything that I've earned in terms of marksmanship ability, like I've had to work really hard for it. But in terms of gun handling, for whatever reason, that's just something, that's a part of it that has come easy to me. Like when the first time I had a DASA, I read somewhere, somebody told me like, oh yeah, every time a gun comes off target, you should decock. That's all I like somebody said that one time and I just have decocked every time. That's a, a switch that I was able to flip. <laughs> work for everybody a lot of people have to really think hard about it every single time and when it comes to people who are i don't know if you want to call it manual dexterity or mechanically challenged or whatever like 
you have to know yourself and be honest with yourself. And if you're somebody who has even the slightest trouble with like picking up on some of that manipulation stuff, like a snubby revolver eliminates a lot of the potential for negative outcomes that can happen with that stuff. And it's, it's hard to talk about because we're talking about people who think that they are squared away, but really when they're honest with themselves, you know, maybe they could cut down on some of the, potential for you know manipulation errors gun handling errors um administrative stuff like just make it easy for yourself makes sense let me add one thing uh, what chris just said um i probably over talked this because it was my first time and I'm no 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 this is good so one of the things i do now for me when i go to the range um like i said because you know, i'll go to where my wife works on picking her up i'll go a little bit early i'll go shoot their indoor range and i'll bring one of my snubs and i bring one box of ammunition and i shoot claude warner drills you know i load it you know fire spin the cylinder fire spin the cylinder you know and pretty soon and i'm only loading a couple but keeping empties in there so I'm getting five presses every time, but I'm doing ball and dummy drills with like 250 presses on a trigger to get through 50 rounds. For Sally and Johnny America to be able to do ball and dummy drills yourself and get a lot of efficient training with one box of ammo at the range with a system that's easy to work and manipulate that isn't complex on the administrative handling that has a lot of built-ins for not uh you, you know having negligent discharges or bad things again you, you can look at the thing and see what condition it's in you know is the hammer cocked or not cocked you can actually see the back of the rounds in the cylinder i mean it's they're they're, they're sort of dummy simple on the administrative side they're also fairly dummy simple on the uh uh handling side you know so again it's it's a system that's very easy for most people who could get one good revolver class to teach them to do drills like that some certain things that would make them immensely more competent now is it easier for me to teach somebody to shoot a semi-automatic pistol yes do I got to do a little more work with a revolver to teach them to be competent with them? Yes, but I don't need to do as much administratively and I don't need to do as much on a lot of the handling and post-training training that they with one good class, you can get them fairly competent. So if you could get somebody with a concealed handgun license, you know, a Colt Cobra, one of the new Smith 66s or one of the you know medium frame 38 revolver, God, people could do a lot of amazing stuff with that within what their training doctrine actually really is and what their actual real needs are. Um, you know, a lot of people these days have a long gun to defend the home against, you know, the mongrel hordes and the fifth dismounted hell's angels and whoever's coming to get them. But, you know, you want something to throw in your pocket to go answer the door. You're going to, oh, we're going to downtown tonight. I'm, I've got a, my permit. So is this the time to go grab the Glock 19 out of the drawer that you're not doing much with? Shove it in a purse or, you know, shove it in your 
garbage holster and stuff it down the front of your pants, your finger on the trigger. And, you know, cause you, you're going to some scary place or, you know, again, you take a snub, you know, or a medium frame revolver, you put it in. And even if you have kind of a crap holster, it's probably not going off in there. You know, again, the thing is, is we've so many told people that you're going to get killed with these things. And the reality is most of the people who are exceptional gunfighters in our world within the confines of the continental United States used these. Pat Rogers shot most of the people in the United States, that gun right there. It's a Ruger Speed 6. There is nothing more vanilla and medium frame revolver than that thing. You know, um, you know again, it's not optimal to go get yourself into trouble. But again, if you can go to the range with one box of 130 grain full, full metal jacket training 38, that's not going to hurt your hand. It's not going to throw stuff out. That's going to hit you. It doesn't, you're not getting brass to the face. You're not having to sit there and have somebody who's trying to clear, watch them clear on a public range, watch people clear a failure to extract. Or, you know, they call it a double feed that's impossible. I got a jam, you know, it, it, guns getting pointed at everybody. They're God knows what trying to get this thing apart. You know, the revolver, you know, it's pretty simple to figure out when it doesn't go bang. You know, and you can, again, set it up to do ball and drummy drills all day long. People can set up very easy basic marksmanship stuff within a budget and within something they'll actually do. Um, my wife that passed away was a perfect example. Not a gun person card carrying PETA member when we met versus, you know, my taxidermist wife who ate venison for like eight years straight. Um, she had, you know, married to a cop who worked nights, three inch model 65 with a really good trigger in it. Go to the range once a year, gun sat in her drawer from the second we were together till the second she died. And now it's my daughter's. And I use it for classes for a lot of women shooters to use real small grips on it, fit it. Yeah. You know, and, you know, she was kind of like most people. She didn't like brass coming out. She was, you know, left-handed, cross-eyed dominant. She had all sorts of every shooting problem in the world that's hard to fix. You know, and the gun's simple. It was easy to, it's loaded, it's not loaded. You know, again, think of how most people work. And then again, for the monster studs of the shooting world, you know, give you a system. They'll give you a sub one second draw every day of the week from surprise. If, as long as your situational awareness is there that you have your hand in the pocket, you know, what's, what's nicer. You're walking down some crap area, you're situational where, you know, I'm in a crap area. You know, you get your hand in your pocket. You know, you're not sitting there prepped on your shirt, ready for your, you know, here's my AIWB draw with my special AIWB draw shirt and my, you know, fingers hooked underneath it that everybody's going, what the hell is wrong with that dude? Versus a relaxed person who's walking around with hands in their pocket and, you know, doing their thing. So, you know, again, it, it serves a purpose for sort of a novice gun real well and an expert gun real well. And then there's sort of the middle that gets a little mushy. So, you know, I, I think the, uh, what do you call it? The Jersey that they wear with all the brands on it probably gives it away as well. Yeah. There's going to be that. It's <laughs> a yeah. so safari land and lucky gunner and yeah. Hey, lucky gunners. Okay. You can wear as much lucky gunner gear as you want. Right, Chris. That's right. No one knows who we are. So well, I send everyone. No, I send everybody the lucky guy. <laughs> like I said, they, yeah, that, that YouTube stuff. Yeah, everybody. Yeah, I want to learn about that. Go to Lucky Gunner. Don't look at anything else on YouTube. Start there. 
so you don't get all messed up right out of the gate. So, so Chris, any further things that we missed? And then don't forget to plug everything that ever existed. Uh, nothing else comes to mind. Uh, of course, you can find lots of revolver goodness on luckygunner.com slash lounge. Uh, I, th I think there's actually at the top of the page, there's like a category for revolvers. So you can find all of our revolver stuff kind of in one spot there. Um, and I'm sure if you type in Lucky Gunner revolvers on YouTube, you'll find a lot of it there. But you won't see stuff like um articles that daryl has written for us because they're not on youtube they're on our blog that's right um if you want to see our gel testing stuff that's at luckygunner.com slash labs and buy ammo from us federal 148 green wad cutters for your snubby yeah what about, what about 327 what about 327 Sh should I, they be buying that too you know i i have not had a ton of trigger time with 327 um i'd like to try it out some more um based on the limited gel testing i've done it's basically like the gold dot it's like a 124 grain nine millimeter gold dot just a whole lot louder so if you don't mind being completely deaf after you shoot a guy um you don't get the really cool muzzle flash with it because it's flash suppressed powder but um out of a snubby it seems to have pretty good ballistics it still is you know, it's going to hurt. Not not as bad as like a 357, but it's definitely not pleasant. I, I'm really curious about like a um, a three inch SP 101. That might be just about like the weight where I would consider a 327 um, for actual serious use. But then that, it's in that weird area. It's almost K-frame size. I'm like, wow, well, I'll just go and get the real thing. But and I might I might experiment with that, especially if Henry Rifles comes out with a 327 lever action with their side loading gate. That would be my ultimate hipster <laughs> rifle. So, do you have a connection to Henry? No, just I just, they have a 327 lever action and they just started making their, their, their uh, lever actions that actually load from the side instead of from the, the top of the tube. So when they, when they meld those two features together, I will, I will reach ultimate hipster status. Perfect. <laughs> and, and you're actually pursuing that. Not yet, but you know, I might have to get on the phone and bug those guys. Cool. No, I mean, you're, you're pursuing hipster status. Ultimate. I mean, if it happens, it happens. It's not really something on my agenda, but people seem to to think that that's that's a, a box I fit in. So I'll take it. Man, you know what? Maybe we need to do an episode and include the two of you, and then we'll add a couple others talking about non-standard. Now, nah, maybe even not. We wouldn't call it non-standard, but talking about those shotguns and those lever guns and all the the stuff that people don't necessarily consider for home defense of use and how to set them up and. Yeah, get Lee Weems on there and stuff. Would be good. Yeah. That so could be cool. Would, he would be good. Yeah. Well, Daryl, how about you? Any last things that we may not have discussed or last comments? I think we, we left out the 148 wad cutters versus hollow points. Um, I'm real simple. I shoot the wad cutters in my air weights and air lights, and I shoot uh, gold dot or similar in my steel guns. Pretty much it. Wad cutters get me, uh, they shoot to the sights, they're low, very low recoil, and they penetrate deep. And again, you know, when we're looking at close range contact stuff, I want to be able to be competent with it, then 
more than anything else. So uh, on pushing stuff, so Hardwired Tactical Shooting, our website got hacked through Google by some uh, erectile dysfunction thing or something, and we don't have a web person, so you can go direct to it if you need to. But reality is uh, Hardwired Tactical Shooting on Facebook um, is that side of the business. I've got a new thing my wife and I are doing called uh, DB's Shooting Adventures, and that's on Facebook. Uh, my daughter's sort of handling the Instagram, and I've got it on MeWe as well now, but mostly it's on Facebook. DB's Shooting Adventures, zero politics, zero tactical, uh, just kind of following around a lot of what my wife and I are doing, but the big push for a lot of people is my gun of the day, which doesn't end up every day, but um, fits, I mean, all the historical revolvers with a little sort of mini article on it, all sorts of cool guns. If you want to get educated on neat guns, neat shooting, different stuff that you're not going to see really anywhere on the interwebs, uh, DB shooting adventures. And like I said, I promise you there'll be no politics and nothing tactical to argue about. Um, it's just cool gun stuff. Um, and kind of cool stuff my wife are doing with either the archery or training classes or stuff we're, we're doing together. Uh, we're kind of in a believer that family that shoots together stays together and it's a good bonding thing. So, um, and, uh, God, I think that's about it. Um, you know, uh, we're going to do our, um, I should be posting it this weekend. We'll, uh, the, uh, and it'll be on the Hardwired Facebook page uh, is I'll probably post the Revolver Roundup again this year. Uh, it's mid-October here in Dallas. It's going to be myself, Wayne Dobbs, uh, Chuck Haggard, and uh, this year we're having Dave Dolan from LAPD, a retired lieutenant. Uh, huge, huge undercover experience at LAPD. Real good gun guy. Um, so that'll be the four instructors this year on the revolver roundup. And, uh, you know, that's about it. Uh, buy ammo from lucky gunner, uh, you know, cause Chris and, uh, yeah, that's about it. I look forward to coming back and doing some more stuff with you. So. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks guys. Uh, yeah. Great, great discussion. Um, let's see here. You know, I, I just need to repeat what I say at the end of every one of these shows, and that is support those sources that you have found to be beneficial. If you like what Chris has to say, if you like Lucky Gunner, if you like Daryl, the DB, you probably need to follow these guys on social media. If you like Varg Freeborn, you know he's on social media. Chuck Pressburg, yeah, Press Check Consulting. All these good people, all these good sources of information, you know they need your likes. They need your subscriptions. They need shares. They need comments, feedback. It's all good. Primary and secondary, especially, appreciates your your feedback, your subscriptions, your shares, your likes, your all that good stuff. Um, big thanks to Filster Holsters. Go to Filster FilsterHolsters.com. Look at that new arc, because if you're running an X300U and your little stubby fingers can't quite touch, can't quite reach those those buttons, you can get the arc and swap out those buttons. Then you can reach them. You can also get a holster. You can get a flex. It's nice. If you happen to be building an AR-15, if you need a new pistol barrel or an AR-15 barrel, Facts on Firearms has solutions for you. As a matter of fact, with those pistol barrels, they have them in different colors, shapes, and sizes. Yes. The episode was also brought to you by the letters P, P, and Q. And someone did point out we didn't rack any guns for this episode, mostly because it was a snubby episode. Um, big fan of the PPQ. It is a nice pistol. If you haven't tried one of these, 
Go to a range that has these available to, re to, to rent out and shoot and try it. If you happen to be nearby and you know me, I will loan these out to you so you can see it for yourself. Um, I just realized something. I did not intend to have this right here, <laughs> right in front of me. Yeah, my titanium hits knife. There you go. Um, let's see here. Big thanks to the Patreon subscribers. If you're interested in Patreon, basically the way it works is you go to patreon.com slash primary and secondary. You can help support the network. What that means is that that kind of helps pay for the pay the bills. There's a lot of bills with this whole big network. It also helps me pay for a lot of projects and materials. We have a big shoot coming up next month. Lots of ammo. It's going to be a good time. Uh, there are going to be videos produced that are both going to be on in-range TV and primary and secondary. Uh, yeah, great group of people are, are coming together for this. Um, we have some very awesome plans for some of these videos. A lot of comparisons. Uh, we're also going to be comparing not only some firearms, but some of these lights that people have been talking about, weapon lights and handhelds and whatnots. And not only are you going to see the perspective from... You as the shooter, you're also going to see some perspectives from the suspect. So, yeah, in different types of environments. Um, we are on, let's see here, iHeartRadio, Spreaker, Stitcher, iTunes, Vimeo I've kind of gotten away with because it's it's been a pain. But thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. No idea what we're going to do next week. That seems to be what I do. I, I don't plan these out very long. It's just It just happens. Hopefully, though, until then, I will talk to you next week.